0: Welcome! I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at LOTN. joined as always by my guy Cody Safdick. You guys can follow him on Twitter at CJ Safdick, and we are here propping you up for UFC Petty. Uh, I'm not sure how good your French is, Cody. How long did you take French in school first? That's the, that's the first question I'm going to ask you.
1: Oui, je peux parler Français, j'ai pris oh, uh, Français. Oh, oh, ans. Damn. Damn. So, oui, time, but, yeah. I know you probably smoke I uh, speak. I know you smoke. I know you I speak know, a but... different language as well, right? So open the mind, right? It's all good for learning.
0: Uh, no, that that's hilarious. Sorry, did you say that your parents are French as well?
1: My dad don't speak a lick of it, but yeah, my mom's French. Her parents are French. So uh, yeah, she made a point of being like, well, when dad's not around, we'll speak French. So that's what we do. My dad's in the room. He's like, cut that shit out right now. (laughs) You don't don't play that. But yeah, yeah. Again, just uh, the more opportunities you can create for yourself, the better.
0: That is fire. I didn't know that you were that well versed. I thought you were just like, you know, because obviously, up here in Canada, for those that don't know, we have to take French from grade five to grade nine mandatory. And then after that, it's, uh, you know, up to you whether you want to take it. So for you, since you already had that background in French, did you take it all throughout high school or did you quit it at grade nine as well?
1: Yeah. So I, t- I went to an all French elementary school where literally you got oh, like shit. the ruler in the hand if they caught you speaking English and uh, got a lot of rulers in the hand though. But yeah, I went through like an all French elementary school. And then when I started high school, uh, small town shit, right? So like yeah. the French high school was in Mississauga, dirtbag yeah. town. And then like the English <laughs> high school was like nice rural area. So I was, like, I'm just gonna go to this English high school. So take French in grade nine. I'm like, yeah, this is gonna be the easiest. And the only guy in the class that can speak French. I speak French much better than the teacher, but wow. it's the goddamn conjugation with yes. the verbs, man. Yep, yep. I was never good at that. In elementary school, no fucking good. High school, no fucking good. So I did drop it after grade nine, but I don't have a bilingual diploma from high school, but uh, I am bilingual. Can uh, can speak it, write it, uh, read it. Just Wow. There's a lot of verbs, man. It's like passe, compose, passe, uh Uh, like there's so many so many different future tense, past tense present tense Oh, man, you got a Bicharel, it's like this little green book, it just has all of them. Like, I never want to think about it. Bro, this again.
0: this came out of left field for me. Like, I was hoping <laughs> that you were gonna to drop that. So, yeah, man, I, I had to take it until grade nine and then just stop it. But you fucking you went balls deep, man. You went all the way in on French. And uh I, I appreciate that, man. Obviously, like like in the States, if you have Spanish as your second language it helps you a lot in business and all that stuff, it's the flip for us here in Canada. If you have French in your in your back pocket, it very much helps you as well. Uh I might be calling you up you know, every now and then, because I'm going to Montreal this weekend and be like, Hey, you know, it's, what's well, good. I'm going to be visiting. Yeah. I love
1: it. Yeah. My yeah. dad used to raise horses in Montreal and like lived in Quebec by himself for a bit. So he'd call my mom and be like, how do you order? Like, could you, he'd hand to the phone and be like, could you like talk to them? And I don't know. It's like a whole ordeal, but yeah, she always said, you'll use it for something, whether it's like a government job. Cause it's super easy to get a government job. If you are bilingual, whether you use it. You meet somebody, you do something, and then in my case, the most I've used it for is, uh, yeah, we just there's a province in Canada it happens to neighbor ours where they are more comfortable in French. So being able to deal with Quebec fighters, Quebec managers, Quebec coaches, talk to them. uh, That I feel like that's gone a long way for me, and especially because when I was like beginning in media, it was like, hey, let me go to that TKO event in Quebec and cover it because like I know my way around and I'll be able to like get the inside scoops and. Uh, Anyways, it's just like, yeah, everything you do in your life plays some sort of role down the road.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I, I'm glad that you got that experience. I can't wait to go to Montreal this weekend. I've been like ten plus times, not to mention hitting up the Indian reserves to watch fight quests and all that stuff. With the yeah, sort of you're MMA. <laughs> yeah, what, what I used to have uh, when I used to work over there at Grand man, taking those amateur fighters over there. One of the best times. I, I love that spot. And you know, speaking of which, I, I saw Charles Jordan in action. Uh, you know, in uh, one of those Knights of Columbus little places that they have uh, down there on the, on the reservation. So fun, fun times. But it's amazing to see how far he's made it. And even uh, at this point right now, being on the main card of the UFC events, making their debut uh, in France as well here in Paris. So um, before we get into the show, though, let's quickly just go over the the quick props that we had from cool, or not Cloud cool, CloudBet from the prior week at UFC 278. Obviously, we had one week off, so hopefully you guys made the most of it because we are back with three straight. uh, weekends of events for the UFC. Let's just quickly look back at UFC 278 here. So the first prop that we had was the main card total completed rounds. I think me and you both chose the over 10.5 there. That cast because we had 11 total rounds. Obviously, it would have been 12 had Kamar Usman not get got kicked upside of the head and got knocked out by Leon Edwards there Uh, but still we managed to get 11 rounds so cash the over 10 and a half fight of the night went to Rockhold and Costa which was plus 1100 I don't think a lot of people expected Rockhold to stand up to the power like he did against Costa and then even gassing three to four minutes into that fight still having the energy to go to the judges scorecards uh, you know a great feat from Rockhold but a good one for Costa but it did earn them the fight of the night that night as well fastest finish on the main card Obviously came down to Tyson Pedro. He was at plus 229. Pretty much everybody on their mother saw that coming. Uh, and then he was also the fastest finish on the entire card that was coming in at plus 850 with the quick dispatching of one. Harry Hunsucker, who now finds himself outside of the UFC. Tried making a run at 205, Cody. Just couldn't get it done, right?
1: Hey, dude, I think Todd Stout versus Harry Hunsucker over <laughs> in Niagara Falls. Is let's go! Bring, so let's do let's it. Let's go!
0: Huh? Are, you, are you teasing something here? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't I, know what's
1: I, up with Todd. Like he signed a contract with the like UAE Warriors over in the Middle East, and then he went on a bit of a roll, and then he won two, and then he dropped one. And then yeah, as like hasn't fought in here I reached out to him, no word. Reached out to RG, didn't say Todd was looking to fight, so no idea. Ah, that would. But it'd be a good fight. Time. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. It'd oh, be a hell of a yeah. good That'll fight a, to uh, put
0: together. That, that would be a great fight to see. Just a just a chaos that could happen in the span of five minutes would be amazing in that fight. All right, let's get right into the breakdowns. I do want to give a give a quick shout out to uh the All-Star for hosting us on their channel. As always, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below to show them that you guys appreciate us. And then drop a comment below after the fact and let us know what your favorite props are for this UFC petty card also shout out to betonline.ag for supporting the show as always link is in the description below they'll match your initial deposit up to a thousand bucks uh they got pretty much every single promotion that you'd want to bet on heck you want to bet on centurion fighting championship last week cody you could have done it on betonline.ag especially with the absence of the ufc so make sure you guys check out bet online they have all your mma gambling needs all right let's not waste any more time. We got 12 fights to get through here on this card that actually starts at noon Eastern this weekend. So don't get caught napping folks early card this weekend. And the first fight that we're going to be seeing is a women's, I believe it's actually taking place at featherweight. We got Eileen Perez. It doesn't look like Perez. a woman to me, man. <laughs> we got Stephanie Edgar Go on. taking on the woman. That is Eileen Perez from that shadow. Uh, and I love the fact that it's always Michael Bisming in that shadow there. But uh no, we got Eileen Perez on the other side. She's a 27-year-old making her UFC debut here against Stephanie Yeager. Uh, She's taken some action over the last couple of days days. Uh, she opened up around plus 245, got pushed up to plus 275, and now she finds herself at plus 210. The return on Stephanie Yeager is now uh, minus uh 250. Very fun and interesting fight here because Eileen Perez from the regional tape she seems feisty, you know. She seems like a chick that has a lot to to bring to the table in terms of her grappling, uh, the way that she's able to smash some chicks from on top. But the only issue that I have in this spot is the fact that she's taken a big step up in competition. Man, she was fighting sc- absolute scrubs on the regional scene, women that really had no mis- business being inside the cage. She was able to get these takedowns, you know, without even much technique, more so just. Uh, her way to these uh, takedowns and then just smashing these women from on top. She had a gorgeous head kick knockout a couple fights ago as well, which has pretty much been circulating the Twitter sphere at this point, moment in time. But I think that Stephanie Yeager has all the chops to uh, pretty much stay safe in this fight, get the takedown of her own, drag this to the ground, and eventually do her own work from on top, similar to what she did to Shanna Young, or even look for a submission like she did against Jessica I or sorry, Jessica Rose Clark, I should say. My issue here is betting her at minus 250 is a no-no because there's a lot of unknowns about the Eileen Perez side of things, right? There are a lot of question marks in regards to, you know, how good could she actually be? And we can't really determine that unless we see her fight in the cage against a legitimate competitor here now in Stephanie Yeager. So for me personally, this is a sit back and watch spot, seeing how Eileen Perez really transfers over to the UFC and this level of competition, and it would be a no bet on the Stephanie Yeager side. But the spot that I am kind of liking is actually egg inside the distance. I think that she could eventually find that top control that she needs to rain down some big blows or even open up a submission opportunity. So rather than being greedy and taking a specific prop, I'd rather just go inside the distance. Egg inside the distance is plus 110. That's where I'm going to be leaning on here. I am not ruling out a possibility of Perez just grinding her way to a victory if the takedowns come easy to her. And Perez, by decision, is currently around plus 550. But... I still lean on the Egger inside the distance here at plus one ten. What are you thinking? Am I am I off on this matchup or are you giving Frez <coughs> a little bit more credit?
1: No, I agree. Listen, it's women's MMA, so the minus 250 price tags always gotta make you a little bit nervous. Because honestly, how often do you see the two to three to one favorites lose women's MMA? Just all the time. So yeah, would you want to be invested in a girl like Stephanie Egger who just phantom tapped? A few months ago? Like, no, no, probably not. But that being said, yeah, she should be the rightful favorite. I don't see a way that this fight doesn't play out in the clinch. Like, almost all of Stephanie Egger's fights, either she's going to initiate the clinch and try to judo toss you, or her opponents seem to want to initiate the clinch on her. That was stuff that Jesse Jess Rose Clark tried to do. That's something Shannon Young tried to grapple back. And uh, that's where she's going to thrive is in these clinch type positions. So if you want to beat her, I really think you got a sprawl umbrella or just be a much better grappler. And I don't think Aline Perez is going to be able to do that. Her wrestling doesn't seem great. or striking, I'm sure she's got a little bit of pop in her hands, but... The technique just doesn't really seem to be there at this current point in time where she has her best success and she where the position that she thrives as well is in the clinch. So I see no way that she's not going to at some point try to clinch up with Edgar, get tossed, and have Edgar on top of her. So yeah, money line probably not going to want the most exposure, but I'm kind of feeling that Edgar by submission plus 225. Listen, we know that uh, she's a BJJ black belt. She's big. She's strong. Judo black belt. She's got some decent submissions in her game, particularly with that armbar. I know she just got barred by Mara Silva, but she's got five of them in her career, including one over Jillian Robertson. So it was just a battle of good submission artists in this spot against an Argentinian fighter who's fought at a very low level i would think if you just make it grapple heavy you're eventually going to tie her out open up that submission snag it up plus 225 not the worst price tag Another thing that i actually don't mind is that you got eileen perez coming in here uh she is on a full camp because she was going to fight zara Farron, but this is her first time fighting at 145 pounds like she's only five foot five she spent the vast majority of her career at 135 pounds and because you're going to take a layup like zara farin who's the french fighter that they're just trying to do a favor to so they bring in a smaller argentinian with very little experience to come up. Yeah, that makes sense. But now against Stephanie Egger, like Egger grappled at the ADCCs against Gabby Garcia. Like she's actually quite big. She's quite strong. and I think that extra 10 pounds and moving it up to 145 is going to make her just that much bigger and stronger, allow her to get the fight to the ground, allow allow her to probably grab something. Like you said, inside the distance makes sense because she could TKO her. But uh, I'm getting a little bit greedy, maybe just chasing that submission at plus 225.
0: Yeah, a lot of people overlook the fact that uh, Egra has competed at a high level pretty much everywhere in combat sports, right? From the judo to the jiu-jitsu, and now obviously in the MMA cage. And uh, yeah, I I think that's why we see her at such a big chalk price, not to mention the experience that she already has in the UFC, whereas Perez is still a little bit of an unknown. Not to mention, shout out to Perez, really being spicy on the Twitter timelines. I'm not sure if you've been seeing that, but she's going at at any and everybody that wants to uh, uh, discredit her work or pick against her or anything like that, you know? um uh, hilarious I, I don't even know if it's her running her account but considering the the type of feisty attitude that i see with her in the cage i wouldn't i wouldn't discredit it i think it's probably
1: her. Behind those yeah listen you are like, gonna want to rest up and get as much rest as you can coming in here and be as relaxed as you can so who knows if it's her i hope it's not her engaging with trolls just because yeah you got better things to do with but she also does seem motivated she's got absolutely nothing to lose and then that being said and this is why i don't want to bet edgar as a minus 250 if I'm betting someone at that price tag, it's like, okay, okay. Can they strike? It's like, no. no. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit. Well, like, you know, can they wrestle? No, not really. You know, she got some judo. It's like, oh, does she got like some deep cardio? Does she have like some huge X factor? It's like she could judo toss you and snag up an arm bar. It's like, oh, yeah. Well, how'd her last fight go? Well, it ended up on the ground. And she got <laughs> an It's like so, so her one thing she's not even particularly good at, it's like, No. It's like, how could she lose this fight? Geez, I guess if it didn't hit the ground, she could maybe lose a striking battle simply because neither of them are strikers. It's going to get greasy, right? It's like, oh, what if it does hit the ground? Yeah, well, I guess she's really not that good of a grappler after all. Like, I don't know. There's way too much diciness for the minus 250 money line price tag. But again, the plus 225 on submission for something that could very likely happen. Yeah, I think that's your best look. I like it.
0: All right, let's move on to this next fight here. We're going to be talking about Holly Taha going up against Christian Quinones. This is taking place in the Bantamweight division. And in terms of odds, we got minus 120 for Taha and plus 100 the return on Christian Quinones. Now, Quinones coming in on short notice to replace Taylor Lapoulos, who is trying to make his triumphant return to the octagon. Not a lot of people actually knew this, but he used to fight in the UFC, even accrued a 3-1 and record before I ultimately... I'm not sure if he got cut or if he just decided to leave himself. He got cut, uh, yeah. He got cut. So he yeah. got cut off of a win uh, and then ultimately uh, captures the TKO title up here in uh, Canada. uh, And then has been fighting all over the place as well, including Aries FC. Um, But yeah, it would have been great to see him make his return to the UFC, especially in front of his countrymen. But that's going to have to be put on pause for a little bit considering he has been injured. But... In steps, uh Data White Contender Series alum Christian Quinone is making his debut on somewhat short notice here. And I think that this is a great spot for him to pull off the upset. And I completely understand why the line is moving the direction that it is. I personally got in at plus one eighteen. Now he's coming in to pretty much pick a mods here. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see the line flip here, come fight time. Kalita is slowly turning into that guy, in my opinion. That's uh I don't want to call it KO or bust, but I think it's like finish or bust type of situation where a lot of his success comes from him Knocking his opponents out. He has a couple of submission victories on his record as well. But like outside of that, I'm not fully impressed with the overall game that he has. I think Canonez is the better technical striker, whereas Taha has a ton of big power in his hands. So that's something that you have to worry about. But I think that Canonez is the is the guy that will likely put the bit, put together the better combinations, better kicks, better overall game to likely win a decision in this spot. Uh, I don't even doubt the Canonez's takedown game here, as I do think he'll be able to get this fight to the ground if he needs to and really, you know, be a step ahead of Kali Taha in those transitions and and those type of scramble uh, scenarios. Uh, Taha, I'm just not completely sold on him, right? I was all over Sergey Morozov last time around, wondering why the hell the market even made Taha a favorite in that fight to begin with. Um, I think is one of the better prospects that we're getting out of the contender series, especially considering that he has 19 fights on his record already. Like, this guy's already pretty weathered from the regional scene, and he's fought some pretty good competition on the regional scene. So I like what we get from Canonas. I took the shot at underdog odds, like I said, at plus 118. Money really coming in on his side. But in terms of a a, 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 um, a prop for him, uh, you know, Taha, very resilient, very tough to put away. So I'm actually going to lean with Canonas by decision, which is hanging at a plus 225 price tag. I don't mind that at all. The last thing I'll say about this one, Cody, before I pass it on over to you, uh, Taha, you know, only technically has one win inside the cage right now, or at least inside the UFC. The other one turning to a no contest because, oh, I think he got popped by USADA <laughs> after uh, gutting it out against Bruno Silva and eventually he's finishing him in that third round. Gotta believe maybe some of those uh, performance-enhancing drugs had something to do with it. Until he can go out there and provide a clean performance that's not just a 27-second 27 soc- 27 knockout of... Uh, Boston Salmon, I'm not fully impressed with what we've been seeing from him. So, give me Canonas, much better fighter all around, in my opinion. I think he'll be able to evade the bomb and I think he'll be able to grind his way to a decision victory.
1: What about yourself? Yeah, so he beat Bruno Silva. Okay, he was on steroids. Okay, Bruno Silva is a flyweight whom he fought at 135. And Taha missed weight. He came in at 137. <laughs> so was <it's> like, <laughs> that's crazy, Red man. Flags. You know, he did just cheat any way he could. And then since then, he's off the juice and he is making weight and in both of his performances. I will give him, uh, you know, Morozov's actually a decent enough fighter in his own right. Ra- Ryoni Barcellos, much of the same. So he fought good guys. But yeah, he just doesn't seem all that into it. Like he just allows himself to get behind the eight ball way too much. Uh, the volume from his opponents starts to rack up. He doesn't let his hands go. He has big power, but again, he's just not letting it go. His stature, five foot five with this weight class like he's got short little arms on him he needs to get in the pocket and let his hands go but he just doesn't really seem to have that sense of urgency now he's been off a little over a year if you look at stuff from him online he looks in awesome shape and I'd be interested in seeing him at the scales because again he has struggled to make 35 in the past but all the same like I think we're going to get uh, the same version we normally get he's only 29 years old he's only 30 30- yeah, I think he's like 29 years old. He's still fairly young. I just never really see the improvements from him fight to fight. Kinones, meanwhile, let's be real here. He fought about a year ago himself on the Contender Series in like a tooth and worn, uh, like a, a close fight against a guy that probably shouldn't have been in the UFC himself, like not exactly the highest level, but I do like what I see out of him. He's got the output. He's got that grittiness. He's got that tenacity. He's decent in scrambles. His cardio looks pretty good. On the contender series, as the fight starts to get into those later stages, it's him that's kind of putting it into that next gear. And so that's what I kind of muchly expect here as well. I think he's a live underdog. I took him as the underdog. And then much of what you're saying by decision, I will say though, you got a much better number than I did. I was looking in that range of plus 185, plus 205, but you mentioned by decision plus 225. Yeah, something like that would make sense for me.
0: I like it. I like it. And again, like some of the guys are saying in the chat here, Ash Quinn saying I've sprinkled Taha KO plus 400. That's probably his only way to win. So I don't blame anybody for taking a shot on that.
1: Well, the other thing is Quinones has got three losses, all three of them inside the distance, two of which were by knockout. But he hasn't been knocked out in like six years and he's only 26 years old himself. Like the kid's been fighting professional since he's 17, 18 years old and hasn't been knocked out in six years. I would like to think that he's not chinny. I'd like to think that he's got that durability. But of course, with Taha, People know exactly how he's built, what he looks like. Uh, He sits down on his punches and he lets his hands go for plus 400. That would also make sense. It's a lower-level fight. Maybe you want to avoid it altogether. But, of course, if you can get plus money on a prop, probably way better than just trying to hit this money line.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that we're on the same side for this dog. And, again, he might not even be a dog come fight time. Just keep an eye on that line movement. If you want to bet Canona, it's better to do it now than wait. Um, Or what is probably better to have done it, A couple days ago. (laughs) All right. Let's get to the next fight here. This one is a very fun fight that I can't wait for. We got Benoit Saint-Denis going up against Gabriel Miranda. In terms of odds, we got chalk on the Frenchman, Benoit Saint-Denis, who's coming in at minus 285. Plus 240 is the return on Gabriel Miranda. Now, I started the tape on the Miranda side first when I got into this fight because I already know what I'm getting with Benoit, right? The guy that goes forward. Big pressure, looks for takedowns, looks to grapple you on the mat, get you to the ground, look for a submission, look for a TKO, and get you out of there, right? His finishing rate is 100%. He has nine wins all coming via finish. But the same can be said about Mr. Gabriel Miranda as in his 16 wins, he's been able to finish every single one of those, most of them by submission. But the guy is like a banshee, right? He's similar to a, a Terrence McKenney slash a Daniel De Silva and the fact that he just goes out there, gets a ton of first round finishes. If it starts to stretch any further than that, More than likely, he's going to be coming out on the losing end. Now, both guys look like they have very similar fighting styles in terms of just pressuring their opponents, looking for takedowns. And trying to wrap up a neck, trying to get a TKO, whatever it may be, they fight pretty much the same. But the edge that I'm going to give Benoit Saint Denis, and which is why I think he is, you know, this, you know, deserving to be the favorite. Maybe not this big a favorite, but at least a favorite, is because he has a better gas tank, in my opinion. I think he can actually, you know, use this grappling pace and and go into the second round and the third round and not be completely gassed like Gabriel Miranda has shown in past fights. The spot that I'm liking, and and I know we're kind of head-to-head on this a little bit, Cody, but I'm going to be leaning with the fight doesn't go to decision in this spot. Like, I do think that uh, you know, it, it is very live that either one of these guys could get the submission early in this fight. Like that first round, it's going to be very competitive. Both guys are going to try to jump on uh, opportunities as they prevent themso- or present themselves. But I think the longer it goes, we're going to see Benoit start to inch out further and further away from Miranda, and that's going to allow him to eventually get a submission later in this fight. That's why I lean the St. Denis side. But it's hard for me to come up with that you know, that that courage to bet him at minus 285 because Miranda's quite, you know, slick on the ground, right? He has very good jiu-jitsu chops himself. It's just unfortunate that he doesn't have the cardio to really, you know, fuel that should he not be able to get that first-round finish. So I... I don't mind the chalk that I'm going to have to eat here to take the fight doesn't go to the decision, which is minus 270 right now. That's roughly taking, you know, uh, Benoit Saint-Denis by his money line. But I think no matter what, we're going to see a finish in this fight regardless. You know, Miranda's jiu skills, like I said, they're very much up there, but they start to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle as that cardio gets sucked out. And then that technical jujitsu. uh, you know, that he brings to the table really starts to go out the window as well. And that's where I think that Benoit can start to take over and eventually find that finish. So I'm going to take Benoit inside the distance. But the prop that I like the most is the fight doesn't go to the decision. Very chalky, but I think it's definitely one of those spots that will likely hit this weekend. What are you feeling for this matchup?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, both guys combined for 31 pro fights and all 31 pro fights have ended inside the distance. So, I mean, you've definitely got numbers and history on your side in terms of the fight probably won't go the distance I I probably agree with that statement I don't know necessarily that Benoit Santini submits him though I mean you got a guy in Miranda that's got five pro losses four of them by decision one by knockout he's never been submitted he himself is a jiu-jitsu guy and of his 16 wins he's got one knockout 15 wins by submission so listen the guy's a grappler through and through and I think the thing about jiu-jitsu is you can keep yourself safe and positionally sound for a lot of the time I think he's gonna be on his back I think he's going to throw up submissions that aren't going to be able to stick. But I think this thing's going to tick over at least that 1.5. I think it gets over that 1.5. When you look at Miranda as well, it's like, oh, man, the guys are finished. It gets who? Who? Who exactly is he finishing? He's got seven fights for a promotion in Brazil called Face the Danger. Okay? Face the Danger is flagged by Tapology as not competitive matchmaking. Not a phony baloney promotion, but it's flagged as Tapology as a none of these fights really mean anything. He's fought for them seven times. No surprise, he went 7-0 with seven finishes. He's fought a super low level. So, yeah, he submits those guys off his back. But I don't know that he's going to go out there and submit Benoit Saint-Denis, who's shown that he's got a hell of a chin, not that he's going to need it because Miranda's got one KO win on his record. So he's going to be able to take his best shots, but it's his wrestling. That's the biggest advantage. He's going to be able to dictate where the fight takes place. Miranda struggles getting fights to the ground. Oftentimes, he's the one getting taken down before he gets his jiu-jitsu going. And against lower-level guys, yeah, he can throw up a submission off his back. Saint-Denis if he wants to keep the fight standing he'll have some success but I think he'll be able to just control the strength uh, advantage in the clinch take him down when he wants to get on top avoid the submission attempts rain down rain down some ground and pound you know eventually soften him up eventually finish him down the stretch by tiring him out and just really wearing that 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 pace on him but the over one and a half to me at minus 115 looks pretty decent because I don't think either of these guys are going to get that really quick finish. I think it's going to be a grappling match for the first seven and a half minutes until one of them physically breaks and the other one takes advantage. So uh, that's that's the road I took. I do like St. Denis. I think he gets the win. But again, the money line starting to get away from him a little bit here.
0: Yeah, I I was shocked that it was as wide as it was, but I just don't have the balls to go out there and bet a guy like Miranda who, you know, uh, I want to shout out my guy, Liam Picks Fights. He has the ABCs of betting, right? Always bet cardio. And you you can't really see that on the Miranda side. You see his productivity really start to fall off after that, you know, round to round and a half mark. But, uh, yeah, interested to see how this one plays out, but it should definitely be a grappler's delight. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about a fight that should honestly it should be on the main card. Nasser Dean Imovov going up against Joaquin Buckley. How quickly the UFC has forgotten about Joaquin Buckley's marketability after that uh, highlight reel KO he had of Impa Kasang and I. They've been pushing this guy so much up until he met, you know, the, the Italian, Alessio uh, Carico who decapitated him, who, funnily enough, has uh, a spot on the main card over Joaquin Buckley this time around. But uh, interesting fight here. We got Chalk on the Imovov side at minus 255, plus 250 in the return on Joaquin Buckley. Fun fight here between two primary strikers, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Joaquin Buckley look to uh, get his grappling going here to try to nullify that striking advantage that Imovov is going to have. But I'm just not truly sold on Buckley's Takedowns and end wrestling game. I get it. He had five takedowns against uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan, but a lot of those takedowns are coming from Al Hassan overextending, overthrowing on his punches, leaving himself vulnerable to getting his, the level changed on him and eventually getting taken down. Imovov, you know, did a very good job in terms of just keeping that distance striking game over his last couple of fights, right? Like the Ian Hines fight, stuffed all the takedowns, ripped him to the body, ripped him to the head, eventually finished him in that second round. Great performance from Imovov there. Uh, then he followed that up with the Edmund Shabazzian fight, right? Shabazzian, I think, landed a couple of takedowns, but a lot of those spots was Imovov uh, going for guillotines as well, trying to get that neck of Edmund, but ultimately was not able to get the guillotine. But he was able to bank on that poor Guardio of... Uh Edmund Shabazi and, and was able to take over in that second round and eventually finish him in that spot as well. I think Imovab at 26 years old continues to show improvements every single fight. But I think the confidence is growing for him for him as well. And that's trying to fuel him to go out there and outstrike Joaquin Buckley en route to a decision victory here. I think Buckley very much struggles with guys that have that range advantage on him, right? even if we go back to the Kevin Holland fight which was his UFC debut he struggled so much trying to you know close that distance and get his own offense off and Kevin Holland pretty much picked him apart from distance and knocked him out later in that fight even early in the Antonio Hoyo fight if you guys want to go back and watch that uh, the first round Buckley struggled so much to get in on that uh, in on him there and land big strikes Hoyo uh, you know only hit him With six significant strikes in that first round, but still wanted on every single judge's scorecard because all six of those significant strikes were much harder and landed with much more impact than the 15 strikes that Joaquin Buckley landed in that first round. They were just so touching Antonio Hoyer, right? They weren't really landing with the flushes and most blunt uh, of impact either. Um, I think Imovov will look to use the same thing, right? Head kicks, try to keep this guy on the outside, use that teep up the middle, use his long range, uh, you know, those one-twos down the pipe. I think that's going to keep Buckley at bay, and that should be enough to keep Nasruddin Imovov uh, ahead in this fight. Buckley, very durable, very difficult to put away outside of that uh, De Kariko head kick from hell uh, that is absolutely live in this spot. But I do think that this is going to come down to being a, somewhat of a tepid-paced kickboxing matchup with Imovov keeping Buckley at bay with his uh, length, like I said. So uh, Imovov by decision is kind of where I'm leaning here at plus 215. I also don't mind the over one and a half at minus 185, minus 180, as I do think that we'll see this fight, you know, start off kind of slow with Buckley really trying to figure out how to close that distance. And if a finish does transpire, I think it will be later in this fight. Uh, So maybe we could at least cast out over one and a half, but I do like that Imovov via decision as well. What are you thinking here? Cody.
1: Yeah, not thinking much, honestly. So I was tempted to take Buckley simply because of the price. Like, I don't think Imov should be this big of a favorite, even though I think we can agree that he should be the rightful favorite. It just seems a little bit wide to me. So I was like, all right, well, I don't really want to take the dog shot on Buckley. Don't really want to play that money line for Imovov What about fight doesn't go the distance? Because I'm thinking someone's getting dropped at some point, which is minus 200. So it's not a good price tag either. So now you got to try to figure out who do you like and are they going to finish it inside the distance? And for that money, I would think. Probably Imovov by TKO would probably be the soundest bet. Uh, Joaquin Buckley, yeah, you can tear apart every performance he's had in the UFC. I mean, if it's not some crazy highlight reel kick to the face, there's a lot of bad spots, and you nailed them all, right? The Antonio Arroyo fight, it's low output, he tires out, he gets a finish late, not spectacular. The Abdul Razak Al-Hassan fight, I didn't bet there, I felt okay with it the night of even though we want a split decision like whatever one judge had it wrong but I rewatched it twice more since then and like very well could have lost the first and the third round definitely the third round he's gassed uh it's a bad performance and then against Albert Duraev, that was the best he's ever looked in terms of his accuracy was much better. As you mentioned, he does miss a whole lot. His accuracy looked a lot better against Duraev. He scored a couple of knockdowns. He looked confident. His cardio looked as good as it was. Duraev took him down a couple of times. His getup game was solid. He was patient. That looked like a much better version of him. And at 28 years old, maybe he is starting to trend in the right direction. But the thing that stumps me there is that he largely battered Albert Duraev standing. Albert Duraev, not a stand-up guy at all. Ground guy. So when he couldn't get the fight to the ground... He obviously faltered and ended up having his eyes fall shut. So, yeah, with Buckley, if he's going to be in a fight with Imovov, he's got to do exactly what Phil Hawes did, which is get the wrestling going, stay in this guy's face, push him backwards, use those big explosive techniques to land something, get his guard to go up, and then press him up against the cage, peel him to the ground, score takedowns, wear on him. And Buckley's been working on his wrestling a lot. He's also short, compact for the division. He can pick you up. He can take you down. It's that his top game doesn't seem like he can smother you for five minutes at a time when he does get you down. So what happened in the Abdul Razak Al-Hassan fight is he comes out and scores three takedowns in the first round. The second round, he tired. Third round, he gassed. And he's getting taken down by Al-Hassan. So... Wrestling as a primary game plan for him is just going to gas him out. Striking as a primary game plan for him. He's a one hitter quitter kind of guy. Like he, he's not going to throw 100 significant strikes, he's going to throw. 50 and maybe land 30 of them and hope that one of them is the one that gets him out of there. So I would think Imovov over time just starts to pile them up on him. And I know there's no altitude in France. I know there's no condition. And, and and actually it seems like Buckley's been there for a decent amount of time, but you got to keep in mind that Imovov lives there, right? So this would be very normal for him. Whereas Buckley's fighting at, you know, early in the morning. And I don't know that he's made those adjustments and he's had to travel to the other side of the world and he's has to stay in a hotel and he's had to go through all these different things and eat different kind of food and i just got a feeling he's going to hit an adrenaline dump some way some part uh late in the second maybe into the third round and that's when Imovov's is going to swarm him take over so kind of feel like a third round tko by Imovov um but ever so reluctantly i won't take the dog shot i'll, I'll stick with the favorite
0: Yep. I'm very much excited for this fight. I'm kind of, uh, surprised that it's not on the main card, honestly, as I really thought it was going to, you know, have that at least even a co-main event slot, uh, is probably what it's, um, deserving of because of that trajectory that Nasruddin Imovov is currently on as well. Um,
1: that's yeah, the boy. UFD, though. We talk about this every yeah, week, right? It's like, yeah, this fight should have been on the card. This shouldn't have. I think they're trying to sell the prelims as much as they're trying to sell the Good main point. card. But when you look at this card, this William Gomez versus Jarno Aaron's fight, it came together like two weeks ago. Right? Yeah. It's on the main card, what would cause this fight to be on the main card, right? Go the um, French, maybe that's why. But so has <laughs> off Right. Well, I guess in a certain way. If you've been hearing anything Buckley saying, Buckley's like, Yeah, dude, all the French people I talk to are hoping I KO him because he's Russian, and they're like, Yeah, he's not one of us. And I'm like, Is that people saying that? Or is it you saying that? Yeah. Buckley's got a reputation for being uh you know, piece of That's shit. Also, <laughs> Alessio DiCirico versus Roman Kopulov could be fun, but what a what a greasy fight. Like, why would you put that on your main card, right? One guy's yeah. 0-2 in the UFC, really not showing you much. And DiCirico, he's like a 50-50 guy at best in the UFC, but he's coming off a 17-second KO loss. Like, I don't know. man.
0: Crazy, crazy. And uh, quickly, before we move on to the next fight, I know mo- most people in here probably aren't basketball fans, but I must really... Comment on this, Sasha Quinn saying, Holy fucking shit. Donovan Mitchell just got traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Big move for the Cleveland Cavaliers there for any of my basketball fans in the chat. Just felt like that needed to be dropped as it just got dropped three minutes ago. Um, from what I've been seeing on the, uh, on the twitter sphere so shout out to donovan mitchell hopefully trying to turn his career around maybe get a title in cleveland probably not for the next couple of years but big big spot for him all right let's get back to the mma stuff sorry to bore you there with the uh with the basketball i was saying i was like he must
1: not to. be that good because i know like the no, top he's
0: big ten guys i never no, heard of this guy ever no no he is he is a big talent that used to play for the utah jazz but
1: uh okay yeah, well hopefully he gets his shit together like you hopefully. said gets his career going
0: <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's move on to the next fight. We got another Frenchman walking to the cage here. It's going to be uh, Ferris ZM coming in at plus 170, looking to improve his UFC record to three and two. He's going up against uh, Cage Warriors alum Michal Figlak, who's coming in at minus 200. Interesting fight here between two guys with kind of different styles. Like Ferris ZM, solid kickboxer, he uses his movement well, uses his combinations well. But when guys are kind of able to get him to. St- to, to be stationary by putting their paws on him, grappling him, taking him to the ground, whatever it may be. Oh, we just lost Cody for one second and I'm sure he'll be right back. But once he, uh, once, once people are able to get a hold of him, they're able to slow him down and really start putting into uh, uh, their side of things by, you know, like I said, dragging him to the ground, stifling him. And we got the guy back. Um, <laughs> but I do lean the fig side here. My only uh, reservation is, you know, UFC debut, is he going to go out there and look to grapple? Because it seemed like he grappled earlier in his MMA career, closer uh, rather than you know in his more recent fights, where you see him, uh, you know, look to strike a little bit more, look to be a little bit too comfortable striking and having closer matchups with some of these guys. But he should know what the blueprint is, right? Follow even what uh, what was the first guy that he fought, Don Madge, Don Madge, uh, kickboxer, Muay Thai guy. He landed multiple takedowns on Ferris that night and controlled him upwards of 10 minutes in that fight to be able to get that victory. If Dom is going out there and getting easy takedowns and, you know, controlling him the way that he did, I feel like a guy like me, Hal Figlak could do the same. I know Luigi Vendramini struggled to close that distance up until that third round where he got him down and just pummeled him for the entirety of that five uh, minutes and almost got a draw in that spot. Um He was having trouble doing so, but you know, I feel like Figlak a little bit of a better technical striker than Luigi Benjamini, He should be able to get his way, close the distance a little bit easier, and eventually, you know, latch on to uh, Ziem, drag him to the ground, push him up against the cage, just do the much better work. I'm not 100% sold on Ziem. I was a little bit more sold on him before, but uh, just running the tape again, remembering the Jamie Malerky fight, which I thought he lost, you know, remembering some of the other fights as well and seeing where his deficiencies are and seeing the strengths of Figlak and seeing that Figlak could... You know, be competitive in the striking. I understand why Figlek is a is the 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 favorite, but I just don't feel the most confident in terms of playing him around that minus two hundred range. So let's try to look at the props here. I'm going to be leaning more so with the Fidlek via decision, which is around plus one hundred, as I think he'll be looking to try to control ZM here and just uh, you know. Just outwork him pretty much. Um, but I'm expecting some improvements from ZM as well, where it's going to be hard for Figlak to establish any type of dominant position or dominant control to potentially get a finish himself. So give me Figlak, Figlak by decision at plus 100 uh but pass on the money line what are, what are your thoughts here on the ufc newcomer and ultimately who do you think is their hand raised
1: yeah figlack looks pretty good you know he's won his last three fights by decision but i don't think he's a decision machine the guy puts a hell of a pace on opponents uh tight combination boxing in the pocket works the body pretty effectively can take you down can get on top of you and then does doesn't have any submission victories but tends to just rain down ground and pound. He's relentless. He's got good pressure, good pace, guy that can fight an easy 15 minutes. And I think he probably would have fought for the Cage Warriors lightweight title in his next fight, if not for the fact that the UFC scooped him up. So seems to me like one of these tough Polish prospects that's going to be able to factor into the division right away. But of course, this is his debut in enemy territory against a French fighter. So he's going to have to uh, show up and show something off. But I-, I honestly think he's got skills everywhere. Undefeated for a reason. 10-2 uh, as an amateur, had a close majority decision, lost to Jack Shore. So the guy is experienced and and uh, you know is going to bring a credible skill set in there. For Zion, meanwhile, 2-2 two two in the UFC, strong argument that he's 0-3-1. Bear with me on that one. Don Madge easily takes him down, controls him. He loses that fight. Jamie Malarkey, 17 media members scored that fight. 15 <laughs> of them scored it for Jamie Malarkey. You scored yeah. it for Jamie Malarkey. You I it for Jamie Malarkey. Who cares that he got slightly outstruck, man? He took him down five times and mauled him. I don't know. I, maul, maybe not a, maybe a strong word because he didn't really smash him up. But I mean, he controlled him pretty solid. So should have lost that one. Now the Luigi Vendermini fight. He wins the first two rounds. Not that he does a whole lot, but in the third round, he gets slaughtered. Is it a 10-8? One judge thinks it's a 10-8. Some people think it's a 10-8. Maybe it's not quite enough, but I think everybody can agree the most definitive round of the fight Third round for Luigi Vendramini. Real kicker here is Luigi Vendramini not that good. And then against uh, Terence McKinney, well Terence McKinney's a legit prospect, and so he gets diced out of there in two minutes. But at what point have you thought to yourself, Yo man, this guy looks pretty good? Nah, just doesn't, doesn't. Now beyond that, the UFC cuts him; they release him from his contract. You can go check it out. You got released, two and two record. Goodbye for as I am. Then the UFC says, Oh, we're having a show in France, and then they sign him back to fight in France. So. He's only 25 years old, but they had recognized that he needs to go back in the regional scene, get a little more experience, figure out aspects to his game. And beyond the takedown defense, beyond the he may not have legitimately won a solid fight in the UFC or anything like that, beyond all of that, it's the output, man. He averages 2.06 strikes landed per minute. That's the lowest of anybody on the card, and it would be considered very low. All of his fights, Don Madge lands 10. Jamie Markey Kerr high, 47. Against Benjamini, thirty nine, and of course McKinney routed him, so that one can't really be factored in. But he's so low output that a guy like Figlak, who just is all offense and is all pace and is, is all you know punches and bunches, then I think he's just going to eventually overwhelm him. So what i ended up going on this one is i know i sent to you inside the distance at plus 350 but the fact is figlax never submitted anybody so why would you even bother to try to catch that submission i would think probably just go to the tko which is plus 500 and i would think that's the way i attack it because on one hand figlax gone to decision three straight times against not the greatest of competition so it appears that he's going to be more of a decision guy even though i think he's definitely got it in him and then for for Zayem, he's a four-fight UFC veteran. He's fought better level of competition. He's not necessarily chinny. But keep in mind, Don Madge didn't try to do any damage. He just took him down and secured him. Jamie Malarkey didn't attempt to do any damage. He just took him down. Luigi Vendramini did nothing for the first two rounds. But the third round, the first time he put a little bit of pressure on this kid, this kid broke, man. He broke pretty solid. And then Terrence McKinney ran right through him like a hot knife through butter. So I think these pressure guys will be able to get to him and will be able to break him down. Don't just take him down and hold him down. Really deliver that 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 pressure and that pace, and eventually force a late stop. So for plus five hundred on the TKO line, for plus three fifty on the inside the distance line, I think that's how I'm going to go with Figlak this week.
0: Uh, I like it. Uh, I'm glad that you ended up making that change as well because uh, I do think he's definitely more. I'd say decision more than anything, but definitely TKO over sub for sure. So taking that extra is not too bad of a spot there all right let's move on to the next fight and we're going to be talking about the highly anticipated ufc debut of uh, i'm going to go Abus magomedov going up against dustin stolzfuz in terms of odds the obvious chalk you would expect on the magomedov side he's coming in at minus 265 the return on dustin stolzfuz is plus 225 i'm quite impressed with this Abus guy uh cody like i, I love the tape that i saw on him you know great all-around game Obviously we know with the Magomedov last time, he has a great wrestling uh, game, right? That's obviously something he's going to always have that, at his disposal but his striking game is very impressive too like i love what we see with his striking very good shots down the middle has a good understanding of how to use his punches and his uh in combinations especially and how to you know use that and mix it behind uh takedown attempts or something like that it's very very impressive to see he has some big power in his hands good finishing capabilities as you see there, 80 percent finishing rate as well so he definitely have a lot uh, on the on the table in terms of how he can win this fight. And then Dustin Stolzfus, he's a guy that just saved his UFC career in his last fight by uh, defeating Dwight Grant, who, you know, it's, let's be honest, he's really not UFC level to begin with. Uh, so Stolzfus quickly resides with the UFC and ends up getting onto this... Um, this ufc paris card to take on magumadov who's finally looking to make his ufc debut now uh, Abus has been out of the cage for about two years now but i think he's been scheduled for at least two fights in that amount of time so i know he's been ready and you know i know he's been rearing to go and uh, the only real like qualm that we can see on his record is the fact that he has that knockout loss to Luis taylor a couple years ago in the pfl finals but you both know this cody the last thing to usually go in um in a fighter's career is that power and that's pretty much what we saw with Luis taylor winning that a million dollars and i think he ended up retiring after that as well i think that was a flash in the pan moment for avis like i do think uh the spot that i've been kind of comparing it to all week is the ricky Simone nirai faber situation where faber just catches him with his big shot and gets him out of there and everybody started discrediting um Uh, everybody started discrediting Ricky Simone after that. But I think since that fight, he's shown that he's still a high-level talent. And I think that's what we're going to see from Abus this weekend as well. I love him in this fight. I don't even mind taking the chalk on him straight up, to be honest, because I think he's that much better than Stolzfus. Uh, And in terms of a prop, I think Magomedov gets him outside of there, inside the distance as well. And that's going to be plus 120 on that specific prop. Uh, Am I jerking off Magomedov too much here? Or do you think that he is the real deal as well? And he could have a successful debut in the spot.
1: I mean, he could have a successful debut, but I'd say you're jerking him off a little bit. There's just way too, many, way too many red flags on him personally that I just I just don't like. First and foremost, yeah, he's one of these Dagestani Russian guys. So you'd expect for him to wrestle, but he's not really that good of a wrestler. If you look at all of his losses, he's getting out-wrestled. Andreas Stahl was a former UFC lightweight. Yeah, he wrestled him cleanly, Swedish wrestler. Rafael Mox choked him in the first round. Miguel Parlo, who's a former Bellator middleweight, was a Danish wrestler. Again, these guys are out wrestling him. So I don't really think that for a guy that's going to come out of Dagestan have that in his back pocket, I don't really think it's there for him for the most part. He shows wins over like total middle-of-the-road fighters. And pretty much every single guy he's been is a straight-up Ivic Trusek, Sergio Souza, Dan Hope, Daniil Vilfort, Anderson Gungalas, Sedebusi, that looks like a good record on paper, a uh, good win on paper, but Sedebusi four years ago was not very good said we see now is good i don't know how much that i really give him credit for but then he loses to a 40 year old lewis taylor 33 seconds you mentioned it that's a bad look it's a bad look so what i've got to this point is that he's getting out wrestled in his spots he's got some striking although i don't think it's all that good he's got some decent power he's got an okay little submission game he can beat middle of the road journeyman guys that would never in a million years compete in the ufc none of his wins on paper very good the Gassan Umlatov fight, it's a draw, but he wins the first round. He loses the second round. The way the PFL tournament structure, it's whoever wins the first round moves on. So he's on his way probably to losing that fight to a 39-year-old middle-of-the-road Russian fighter in Gasan Umlatov. None of this looks asp- inspiring to me, but this is what's even worse. He loses to Lewis Taylor. Then he takes a year off where he takes, I don't know, five months off. And he fights this Slavislav Suminovich. That guy's like 33 and 59 as a pro boxer. Okay. He's like 40 years old. He's not good. He kamoras him. Then he takes a year and a half off, beats will look like a decent prospect at 12-0 in KSW, but guy's not very good. And then he's pulled out of three fights in the UFC, he pulled out of a fight with Jeremy Rashard. He pulled out of a fight with Alishkob Kiziev, right? Now the UFC's like, dude, we're gonna pull the contract. You haven't fought in over a year. We've pulled out of the first two fights we've offered you. You've had two fights in the last four years combined and you're really not that good so he's jumping back in there and he's taking the fight so yeah a good thing it's Dustin Stolfus and it's definitely a winnable fight for him but I just these are the kind of guys I'm not looking to load up on he could have a bum knee he could be taking it for the money he could be taking it because he doesn't want to lose his contract or he could be in fantastic shape chomping at the bit ready to go 31 years old so because you don't really know. It's just a little too much worry for me. And then with Dustin Stolfus again, not great, but let's go into excuse mode, right? Guy wrestled a little bit out of Pennsylvania before moving over to Germany. He's a uh, team planet eater, uh, BJJ Brown belt under Dean Lister. Uh, Guy's grappling's okay, but his wrestling's okay. Now, when he fought Joseph Pfeiffer on the contender series, picks him up, slams, and breaks the guy's arm. Maybe it's fluky. Decent enough slam. You could see he wanted to use his wrestling, right? Against Kyle Doukas, well, tough to use your wrestling. Guy's a pretty good prospect. He's a BJJ black belt. Difficult spot. Against Rodolfo Vieira, well, listen, it's tough to use your wrestling. It's Rodolfo Vieira. Do you really want to go to the ground with him? And he survived a couple decent spots, eventually gets choked down in the third. Against Jared Mirchart, he's on his way to winning that fight. Loses the first, survives everything pushes the pace on him in the second and wins it takes him down in the third and is winning unfortunately makes one mistake and gets choked out but you can see he's actively trying to get his wrestling into play all every time if he can then against Dwight Grant finally here's an opponent I can use it against uses it effectively doesn't make a bonehead third round decision uh, a third round mistake that loses him a fight Uh, sticks through it and then says on the microphone later like yo you guys don't think I can wrestle but like that's what I do like you know, slam Josh Pfeiffer. Like, this is what I want to do. I slam guys. I take them down. And I think if he goes in there against Malcolm Adolph and tries to push the grind on him, tries to initiate clenches, tries to take this guy down, he's going to tire on him. He's going to wear on him. Eventually he is going to take him down and it's going to be problems. So Dustin Stolfus as a random underdog for sure. I think I would take Dustin Stolfus by decision to try to juice it up because we're on a prop show. I want to give a specific prop, but yeah, like this is not this is not a fight that I would be like ass in on. Like, I don't. I, I think there's a lot of red flags on Magomedov, who's got a dope ass last name. That's about where it ends, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Interesting. I I feel the uh, almost complete opposite, but we'll see how it plays out this weekend. Uh, honestly, the the most spirited argument I've heard for Stolasus all week, so uh, it's great to finally hear somebody uh, pretty confident on the Food side in terms of seeing value at that big plus money money uh, plus money side uh, line that he's currently at. So I don't hate the argument whatsoever. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, and I believe it is going to be headlining the prelims for us. Let me just pull it up. Real quick, actually, sorry, that was the prelim headliner for this UFC Paris card. Again, 12 noon uh, start time for the prelims this week in don't nap and 3 p.m. Eastern is the main card start time. So before we get to the main card, shout out to the 100 live viewers that we currently have in the chat. Y'all are absolutely amazing for hanging out with us on this Thursday afternoon. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below. And then also make sure you guys show betonline.ag some love for us as well. Use the promo code below or promo link, I should say, below. And That will get you a bonus up to a thousand dollars and they have you fully covered. Now I've skipped out on a couple of cloud bet props uh that were actually sprinkled for the um a couple of these prelim fights, but we do have one for this first main card fight, so we're just gonna do our best and get right back into it. Very fun fight, probably the fight that people are most looking forward to here. We got we got Canadian. Charles Jourdain going up against Nathaniel Wood in terms of odds. We're talking about minus 150 now on Charles Jourdain, plus 130 the return on Nathaniel Wood. Now, Cody, I, I find it hilarious that whenever – Whenever there's a Canadian fighting, I have a lot of people hit me up. I'm sure people hit you up as well. Like, you're taking the Canadian or are you fading the Canadian? Because if both of you guys are fading the Canadian, more than likely, this Canadian is going to end up losing. That's what happened on the Contender Series this past week with Alex Morgan getting grinded out by, uh, well, not grinded out, but finished by Blake Belter. Glad that we we're both on that and able to cash that bet. Uh, but then... Uh, this weekend, we got Charles Dredain trying to you know keep the Canadian uh, alumni strong and all that, but I'm not sure if he's going to be able to get it done here against Nathaniel Wood. Now, I-, I like the underdog price on Wood. I think I was a little bit quick on the trigger by taking a shot on him at plus 120 now, considering that he's at, up at plus 130 now. I get it. This is going to be a second fight at 145 pounds. He's still filling out his body to be comfortable in this weight class. But we've seen him face, you know, taller opponents in the past. We saw him face a bigger opponent in uh, Charles Rosa last time around, and he pretty much held his own in that spot. But I think as an overall disciplined technical fighter, he's better than Charles, right? He offers more. I think he's a better technical striker. I think his jiu-jitsu is better than Charles's. I think his grappling is better than Charles. And if there's ever been a flaw in Charles's game, me and you definitely know what it is. Is the grappling, right? That's how TJ Laramie grinded him out over five rounds at the Bell Center in uh, in TKO to, to get that TKO featherweight title off of him. That's how Desmond Green defeated uh, Charles Jourdain early in his UFC career. That's how some most of these guys, even Shane Burgos, right? The reason he ended up winning two of those rounds or at least a couple of these judges' scorecards is because of the grappling aspect he was able to impose. Nathaniel Wood could do the same thing. He can absolutely do the same thing here by getting the grappling going, maybe not being as successful with the wrestling, but at least latching on to Charles, getting his back or something like that, seeking his submission and looking to get him out of there. But even in the striking, he can remain competitive enough that he can, you know, throw out enough strikes, stay, you know, keep his volume and his output up there. And as long as he stays away from any big strikes or getting rocked or getting dropped or anything like that, he is very live to win this fight. I get it. People love Charles nowadays, right? He's the guy that goes out there, screams war in his opponent's faces and just yells at them and screams at them to give them a war as well. And he just throws big strikes. But that's not going to win you fights, right? You got to actually go out there and do legitimate work to see if uh, you can get your hand raised by the judges. I think the judges are going to be needed here. I think Wood, by decision, is probably like my most confident uh, prop in this fight specifically. Even taking Wood straight up, I think, is a great spot considering you're already getting plus money on it. But the slight, you know, long shot that I think is live in this fight is the Wood via submission at plus 800. You know, Charles has been submitted a couple of times in his career. Nathaniel Wood, very slick with his jiu-jitsu as well. I think that he can find a position where he can either grab the neck, grab a Doris, whatever it might be, and take on that neck of Charles and win this fight via submission. But again, gun to my prediction, I think Wood wins by decision, but I want to mind a little bit of a sprinkle on that uh, large plus money spot for him to win by sub. Am I overlooking anything here, or do you see the same holes in Charles that I see, and do you think that Charles gets it done?
1: Yeah, listen, the holes in Charles today have been there for a long time, as you mentioned, not just going back to his TKO days, not just uh, the Desmond Green fight, but pretty much everybody that's wanted to defeat him has taken the exact same path. And you're looking at giving up multiple takedowns to Julian Arosa, and Andre Feely, and Shane Burgos, and... That's the easiest path, man. You don't want to stand and get into a war with this guy. People know that. That's the problem, though, is that he lures you into a war. Everybody wants to take the easy path. Everybody wants to just take him down and grind him. But, I mean, Shane Burgos is much bigger than Nathaniel Wood and a better grappler. He's a BJJ black belt. He's very good. And his favorite position, taking the back. He got on top of Jordan's back a number of times. The guy's defensively sound. He gets in bad positions, but he's not necessarily getting submitted. So you got to take him down and hold him down. When he is standing, I mean, everything he throws is just weird angles. I mean, funky strike selection. He might throw a spinning back fist. He might throw a spinning back kick. He might go flying through the air with a flying knee, but it's all just dangerous. It's stuff that you want to avoid as much as possible. And the thing with Nathaniel Wood is, I don't know if his ring IQ is all that good. He might get himself into a battle with him. And if he does, I'm not certain about his chin as well. It's only been officially knocked out one time in the UFC against John Dodson. Against John Dodson, one hell of a power puncher, but a former 125-pounder, for the record. But also in his fight against Johnny Eduardo, he got beat up standing, beat up pretty good. The Casey Keeney fight, I mean, it's a back-and-forth war standing where he gets hit 126 significant times. Moves up to 145 against Charles Rosa, and here's my biggest problem with that fight. Charles Rosa is probably the worst defensive wrestler in the UFC. Anybody that wants to take Charles Rosa down within the division easily takes Charles Rosa down within the division. Nathaniel Wood went, one for one on takedowns. He could have taken Charles Rosa down whenever he wanted. He could have smashed him up on the ground the same way as everybody else did. He didn't. He chose to strike. He chose to stand in front of him. And by the way, didn't look all that good, I didn't think. He allowed Rosa in spots, even though his lead leg was getting chewed up, to at least have some moments of success. And against Charles Jordan, I don't know. I just got a bad gut feeling. I was on the same boat as you. Line got drop. This is underdog money. This is an underdog pick. Nathaniel Wood. Nathaniel Wood, by decision, uses wrestling. But now I just got like a bad gut feeling that this kid's not going to use his wrestling. He's going to stand in front of him. He's going to hear the roar of a 20,000 person crowd. He's going to get excited. He's going to have the other guy waving his hands and screaming war and spitting blood out. And he's going to say, okay. And he's going to oblige him. He's going to get clipped by something and put down. He's not the biggest 45 er he's a monster 35 er but at 45, he needs to fill into the frame. And instead of doing that, he's on record saying, I'm not ruling the, the a return of 35. I might go back down if you're looking to go back down, that's going to be a problem Because Charles Jordan, not only a big 45-er, but you mentioned the Desmond Green fight, that was at 155. Dude fought in TKO at 155. He's big for the weight class. Taking him down, holding him down, going to be way tougher than taking down Michelle Quinones And there's my other problem with this kid, right? I mean, for as good of his wrestling may or may not be, Nathaniel Woods doesn't really complete multiple takedowns in any fight. He does have two is the most he's ever had in a fight. But he took down Nandre Ewell twice, not a wrestler. Jose Quinones. Took him down twice. John Dodson once. John Castanonata once. Never took down Casey Kinney. One takedown on Charles Rosa. So it's not as if he's out there completing three, four, five takedowns. He's going to stick to that game plan. If he doesn't take Jordan down, if Jordan gets taken down and pops right back up, it's going to be a problem. Last two things I'm going to mention for you here, right? Because it's greasy theory. The guy is not France French, but he's Quebec French. And Quebec is a part of Canada. Sure by a vote of 51 to 49. Because they tried to separate, dog. They were like, we don't even want to be a part of Canada. You'll remember that. So yeah, I I think Charles Jordan is going to have a lot of fan support there. I think there's a lot of people that are going to dig his style. They're going to dig the fact that he is the French fighter. They're going to get behind him. He's going to have that roar behind the roar of the crowd. I don't know specifically what judges are in doing this fight. But one, they might be more inclined to favor the hometown guy. Two, MMA hasn't been legal there for a whole lot. So if they try to use some local guy... You might get an iffy scorecard. And then last but not least, Chargerudain, picture surfacing online right now with platinum blonde hair. Now, you can look at a blonde Bronson. You can look at a Charles Oliveira. I don't know what it is. Dying your hair blonde. Gives you superhuman powers. (laughs) Goku tried it once upon a time, and he saved the motherfucking galaxy. So all I got to say is, I think this guy soars through the air at plus 240, hits that KO prop. So uh I I think I want limited action on this one because if they fought 10 times, I think Nathaniel Woods getting knocked out, I don't know, four times, maybe five times, but the other half, yeah, he uses his wrestling. He takes him down. He controls him, but uh, in my opinion, Burgos is a much better fighter than Nathaniel Wood and Burgo's had a very difficult time doing that. There could have been a 10-8 round. He could have lost two of the rounds. He got beat the fuck up in that fight. Jordan's young, he's getting better, he's excited, he signs a new UFC contract, they put him in a big spot in UFC Paris, you expect this man to come out and let caution to the wind uh, go, and that makes him a problem, so I don't know how much uh, overexposure I'd want on Nathaniel Wood.
0: Guy, oh snap! My- oh snap! It's Mikey saying. So is Charles the Canadian Goku? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I will admit, and I never was really high on Charles Jordan. I don't really think he's all that good, but he might be the best Canadian fighter. Like I think Aaron Jeffries is dope, but he's in Bellator and he's not Hakeem a top guy in the world. Hakeem Dewadu, dope, but he's not on a good roll right now, and he fights yeah. like once a year. And the dude's so badass, but like his fights aren't that good. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. It's very Charles technical. delivers. Yeah. He's fighting top guy. Burgos gets cut. Everybody's up in arms. Dana White's like, dude, we we dropped the ball on that one, and now everybody's already counting his million dollars from his PFL yeah. check already. And Charles extended this guy hard, man, hard. Lost a close decision, gave a wicked account of himself, and he's going to continuously be getting better. Burgos, big strong guy. Nathaniel Wood, a fucking bantamweight. Sure, he yeah. can fight at forty-five, but like, if he the takedowns are not as easy at forty-five as they were at thirty-five. Taking on this big dude who everybody takes down, so clearly he's been working on it. Like There's enough there to just cause doubt in my mind that caused me to reel back on Nathaniel Wood. And also, now that you see money coming in Jordan, I understand it because I'm, I'm thinking the same thing, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I get it. Charles is probably the best bet we have in terms of being the most successful Canadian MMA fighter that we currently have, but his skill set is just... You know, well, I don't Ole know Ole if it's championship about level.
1: to make a million bucks. He's just gotta be Stevie Ray. I don't know. So uh yeah, I would say mm-hmm. Oleve Obe Mercier might be the most successful uh, in a couple months here, but yeah, PFL, dude. I don't know why everybody doesn't just head over there, unless yeah. they're not, like talented, but the guys that fight for the million bucks, it's like <laughs> these guys are like fringe top 20 contenders in the UFC, and the UFC doesn't even have all the best guys in the world,
0: yeah. Uh, I do actually want to ask you a question about this because Kalabat does have a special prop for this matchup. Over, under, total significant strikes from both guys landed. Uh, 143.5. What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I'm thinking under because, honestly, J- Jordan fights are usually wars like that, and they rack up. I don't think that Wood has the chin to get into that kind of war. Like He did against Casey Kinney, but I want you to understand Casey Kinney is also a former flyweight who's not known for his punching power, right? He gets into that war against Jordan, he's getting toppled over, way before 143 hits the board. So I'm going to say under on that.
0: I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I do think that we're going to see large uh portions of grappling in this matchup. At least I see Wood trying to get it going in that aspect. And if he does, I'd be surprised if we go over that 143 mark as well. big
1: cage too, by the way.
0: Big cage as well. That is correct. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got the debutante of both fighters here. Uh, We got William Gomez we go William Gomez going up against uh, definitely not Aline Nahai so I'm just going to pull that off because that graphic is incorrect here Um, but William Gomez going up against Jarno Aarons in terms of odds we're currently looking at minus 215 for Gomez and plus one uh, what's that return here plus 190 nope I'm lying, plus 185 on the Jarno Aaron side. Very interesting fight here. Clear striker versus grappler matchup. When I did the research on Gomez and saw his stature and saw his physique, I legit thought this guy was a kickboxer. Like, I legitimately thought that he was going to go out there and just show me some solid hands, some good striking and all that. But a lot of his success comes from his grappling. He looks to drag these guys to the ground. He looks to grind them out. He looks to get top position, start raining down shots. I'll admit, I am seeing the improvement in his uh, grappling because earlier in his career, you just see him taking these guys down but not really doing much from on top. And, you know, guys were able to force stand-ups and then we just see him dive on legs again and get them to the ground but just not doing much from on top. But nowadays, you are seeing him finish from on top, which is very uh, impressive. And then the Aaron side, mainly a striker, all of his opponents looking to get him to the ground. There's a couple of fights that I looked at where I'm like, did he actually deserve to win that fight? Because I don't think he won that fight. But luckily for him, he's getting his hand raised in some of these spots because he's the one landing the damage compared to the grappling that's coming his way. Unfortunately for him, I think that the grappling from Gomez has been uh, improved enough and the damage that he's going to be able to inflict on top as well is going to be enough that uh, Aarons will likely come out on the losing end in this fight. you know, I am slightly concerned because we haven't really seen these guys go up against the stiffest level of competition. Uh, and, you know, even going up against each other, it's still going to be difficult to tell whether these guys actually are legitimate guys. Um, And like you even said a couple of fights ago, we don't know why these guys were brought into the UFC. But here they are main stage on a main card uh, on the UFC on the UFC's biggest stage in Paris. Eileen Gomez. I do lean the over as well, though. The over two and a half is minus two, one ten. But I think that we'll see the style of Gomez really take over this fight by slowing it down, taking him to the ground and grinding him out. I think Aaron says improved defensively enough that he likely won't get finished on the mat, which is why I do see this fight probably going the distance. If you want to take the full fight goes to decision, it's sitting around plus one twenty. But if you want to hone in on Gomez by decision, you're looking at plus two twenty five. On the flip side for Aarons, I think his likeliest outp- or outcome here is by knockout, which sits at plus 600, but I'm not 100% sure sh- that he's going to be able to find that big spot. So I'm going Gomez, uh, Gomez go by decision, but I also don't mind the over two and a half. What are you thinking here?
1: Yeah, yeah. I took an underdog flyer here. I can't get behind William Gomez. He's not on the card because he should be on the card. He's on the card because they're looking for some local French guys. Now, if you're the UFC, you're going to France. Of course, you know any new market, you want guys local to the area. And in their case, they had a lot of fights fall off. And with Cedric Dumbay not getting approved by the commission, Taylor Lappel is falling off, Mano Fioro having her fight canceled, Zara Farn, uh moving out of her fight, they lost like four solid French talents, right? Yeah. And I think at that point, it was just like, who do we got that's local? Now, Gomez is out of the same campus, Taylor Lapolis. He's out of, uh, you know, he's with uh, Fernando Lopez out of MMA Fight Factory Paris. So, like, he's local. He's 25. He's got a pretty looking record. Let's just throw him on. And Yero, Jarno Yarens fought, like, three and a half weeks ago. So, yeah. he's fresh. So, they're just throwing him in there. So, it's just like a fight that came together late but uh, with William Gomez like I, I I don't know man looking at the tape on him he's you know very fast he seems like he's athletic but I don't see that there's a whole lot of substance to his game quite yet he's fought in relatively low guys he shows a split decision win over Cosman Tutu uh, he beat a couple 17 and 19 fighters 17 and 27 fighter both of them second round TKOs he likes just leaning on his opponents so his last fight against Jose Marcos which may be the best opponent he's fought but I have to have you realize here, Jose Marcos fought on the ultimate fighter at 125 pounds in tough Brazil. You know what I mean? He lost to Matus, uh, Matos. He, before that, he lost to, like, Adriano Moraes. He was a 125er. That's Gomez's last fight. And Gomez takes about nine and a half minutes before he takes him down for the first time. He can't take him down. He's just clinging on to him, holding him up against the cage. No footwork, no striking. All he does is back himself up to the cage, swing with some huge bazooka wild ass punch, and then try to clinch onto the guy. He eventually does wear out the natural flyweight who showed up for a paycheck, takes him down and TKOs him in the third. But it's not a good performance by any stretch, I wouldn't say. Jarno Aarons, meanwhile, he's a he's a Dutch fighter, so one would assume his kickboxing's awesome and his grappling's not great. And that is pretty accurate with him. But he's with Alistair over him. Working a lot on his grappling. So you see in the early part of his career, it is definitely a suspect. And in the later part, his get-up game is pretty good. Uh, his ability to scramble is pretty good. He himself takes the back in a couple spots. And I can only really judge him on his last five fights. But he beats that Mert uh, uh, ozuladrum that draw with UAE Warriors against yeah. Ali Kabdula, he does get taken down, but he drops Kabdula twice, man. His striking is very, everything is power. He loves throwing the knee up the middle. It's very sit down on your punches and throw heavy, but he's got 15-minute cardio. Not a guy that ne- necessarily needs to knock you out as much as he'll just overwhelm you and continuously come at you. Beats Max Koga, who at one time was a decent German prospect. First-round knockout, uppercut right up the middle. Nice little strike. And then he that loss is to the guy he had beaten literally a year before. And it's a good fight, man. Like, he gets caught in Twister in the first round. He survives. He gets on top. Second round, he puts it on him. He wins the round. Third round, he does get taken down, but he ends up on top, mounts the guy right at the end. Like, it's a good back-and-forth fight where he shows his progression as a fighter. He signed with Iridium. Iridium had him signing with the UFC, and then he lost the fight. So, I was like, oh, shit. That's going to be a setback. But then he gets back on track with this uh, Alicia Abdoulayeva. Again, you watch that fight, his striking looks good, his cardio looks good, he himself is confident, whereas his takedown defense isn't great, it's a work in progress, his getup game is getting a lot better, and he seems like he's starting to fill out his frame. 27 years old, not old, definitely still making improvements, and the thing with Gomez is this is the best guy Gomez has ever fought, whereas in, in his case for uh, Jarno Aarons, he's fought a couple good guys before, he's been in tough spots before. He's fought in in different countries before. I think he's going to be a lot more comfortable than people think. So if this was a contender series fight, you see all the time these plus money dogs are hitting simply because both of them are green. One should not be a two-to-one favorite over the other. I feel the exact same way about here. This should be on the contender series. Instead, the UFC needed it late, so they threw it on the card. And I'm expecting it to be a lot closer than paper would suggest. So Jarno Aaron's is a small dog play. Now in terms of the actual prop though, I would chase the Aarons by decision because, again, he does throw heavy, heavy strikes. But uh, I feel like Gomez is just going to try to cling on to him. Aarons is going to land the bigger strikes. It'll probably go to decision. Hopefully, they give it to Aarons. I understand it's in Paris. It's in France, the hometown guy. But Gomez doesn't do a whole lot to get the fans behind him. And Paul checked out Bellator's judges when they go to France. And they were using American guys, right? So... I'm hoping the UFC brings in American guys, and they're going to factor in damage more than control. Give Aaron's that decision at plus four fifty. The other way of maybe attacking it would be the fight goes to decision. I know you mentioned that a plus one fifteen, plus one twenty. Not a bad price tag either.
0: Yeah, honestly, I think looking back at the the reasoning as to why this fight was put together, I don't think they've clearly stated it, but. Looking at the events uh, of things or the order of events, uh, Khalid Taha lost his opponent, Stephanie or Aileen Perez lost her opponent as well. So they're down to only about ten fights on the card, and I think they just wanted to fill in this card with maybe some local guys, just to you know get some uproar a little bit, you know, get some guys that are uh, within that that sphere, and then ultimately Khalid and Aileen ended up getting replacements. So we're back up to twelve fights now, uh, which obviously includes this weird one.
1: yeah well my my worry would be the commission is not a new commission so they're gonna look to put roadblocks on you they said cedric dumbe wasn't experienced enough yeah that was so weird yeah despite the fact that he's got three fights and the guy he's fighting darian weeks has six fights right that that apparently is too experienced for him never mind his you know 70 plus kickboxing matches his multiple world titles never mind any of that so just like ontario used to be back in the day they're not going to help you They're going to cancel fights more than anything. So if I'm the UFC, if you let this card fall down to 11 or 10 fights, you're like, yeah, you might get riddled come fight time. You might get riddled with somebody gets hurt, somebody, uh, the commission saying this, uh, high blood pressure, uh, fail the test, like better to err on the side of caution. UFC used to do all the time, they'd set 10 fights, and then the card would go off like seven or eight. It's like, oh, shit. So now they're always putting 12 or 13 fights on at all times because they understand you could get riddled late and they've got uh, deals with TV partners, right? I owe you three hours of content. If I have two fights, pull out, I can ride the pine and play features, but nobody wants that. They want fights and they're just going to try to squeeze them in. But why it's on the main card, I couldn't tell you. I think it'll probably be an entertaining enough fight. But again, I think they're just trying to make sure we have enough fights on UFC fans will watch anything. If you put two guys in a cage, they'll watch. It doesn't matter if it's high level, it doesn't matter if it's low level UFC fans are pretty committed to the cause. Right? So, No one's really going to care. I just feel like it's a decent spot to maybe pluck off an underdog.
0: Yeah. Uh, hey, we'll we'll sit through Mike Jackson versus Dean Barry. So we will fucking watch anything at this point in time. Yeah, uh, I, mean,
1: I lost money. And Dean Barry like 16 to one. So who's the fucking uh Ah, that's not. Nah, people don't say that anymore. Yeah, hey, hey, it's who's okay. a fucking it's okay. idiot. There. Hey right <laughs> me. <laughs> hey me. Almost so, saved yourself. It's all good. Yeah. All right.
0: Let's uh let's move on to the next fight here. Interesting one between two guys that formerly or maybe still train at Tristar together. You could maybe tell us about this Nazra Hackpress going up against John McDessey. McDesi with a ten-year age. I don't know. I guess you call it a disadvantage <laughs> right. at this point in time since he's right. thirty-seven. Uh, minus two thirty for a Hack Press, uh, plus one ninety-five the return on the Bull. Now the Bull has been out of the cage for almost fourteen months now. He's making his return here against Hack Press, is a big underdog. But man, last time around we saw McDesi. He looked pretty damn good against uh Ignacio mondes You know he was going. Uh, up against a huge size and reach disadvantage but still managed to close the distance and led big shots on uh, El Huala I believe is Bahamund is his nickname uh, and won that fight you know came in as a big underdog as well a lot of people expected him to get starched and just not really hang in that fight but he did a good job and actually ended up winning up winning that fight I'm having similar feelings about this one man like as Hackpress career has gone on not as impressive as we thought he was originally going to be when he uh, burst onto the UFC scene. You know, has big power in his hands, but hasn't really produced any big knockouts. It seems like that power more so just commands respect from his opponents and that they kind of just, you know, dwindle under that pressure, essentially, which is why he's able to win those fights. But when he fights guys that have more discipline striking or are technically better than him, he falls under their pressure, right? Like we saw the Bobby Green fight. We saw the Dana Hooker fight. He just can't k- keep up with these guys. McDessie is enough of a veteran to make this fight close, in my opinion, right? I think minus 230 on Hackbrass is a little bit illogical. Uh, You know, say what you want about McDessie, 37 years old, say what you want about his age. He might be on a decline and all that. But if his chin holds up in this fight, and considering Hackbrass's inability to knock anybody out, McDessie is very live in this fight. Like he is absolutely live. Do I have the balls to go out there and bet McDessie? No, I know guys that are and likely should have to, especially considering this price tag. I still do end up on the side that hack press will likely land the better strikes. And I think that's where it's going to come down to, you know, landing the big strikes from the outside, uh, maybe getting that respect for McDessie and even just landing damaging blows that probably cut up McDessie and make it look good for the judges will likely be the reason Hack crass wins this fight. You know, I'd, Say, hey, consider maybe the overs here, but you're talking about an over two and a half that's sitting at minus 220. Maybe playable, as I don't think that either guy will finish each other, but I do think it's going to be the hack-brass side that still ends up getting his hand raised in this spot. Hack-brass by decisions currently sits at plus 120. That's the only line I'd consider playing. Otherwise, you know, I, I, I just don't want to touch this fight all in all. You can clearly make a case for McDessie in this spot, and I get it, but I'm good with, you know, just staying off the 37-year-old and just watching this fight as a spectator more often uh what are your thoughts here you give him mcdesi that shot or do you think hack press uh, comes through with the
1: youth I think it's actually a much closer fight than the line suggests, basically everything you're saying. John McDessie is good at staying in these relatively close striking battles, right? They generally go 15 minutes his fights. He's capable of putting up decent numbers. He's got good striking, and I feel like he's going to keep it more competitive than a lot of people maybe think. Cross, meanwhile, he's just like a different guy, man. 27 years old, still young, still could get back to that prospect status but since drew dobers knocked him out he's not looked the same at all like the alex munoz fight he put up good volume in that fight but he never looked comfortable the rafa garcia fight he did not look good he looked off to me and then dan hooker and bobby green straight up just backed him up doubled him up on volume something that hack generally has good uh, you know volume himself yeah he just looks out of it but he's been talking a lot of smack to john mcdesi about how he wants his fight for hobby coach John McDessey from the time he was an amateur like he he knows everything about John McDessey. so it seems like Hack Peros loves this fight and he's probably beat him in the training room and he doesn't like him personally and he's you know he's been trying to bark him up a few times now now McDessey's getting fired up but like all it is is just like adding a layer of emotion that John McDessey doesn't fight emotionally you know he fights very precise right he's a he's a long pant kickboxer he's not looking to knock you out in fact the last time he knocked out a guy was Shane Campbell seven years ago dope-ass win when you think about it but seven years ago right he's not looking to knock you out he's looking to just touch and go touch and go point fight and with Hack paras he's going to get emotional he's going to try to step in the pocket and let combinations go land the heavier shots and in a big cage if Magdesi uses his footwork and his speed stays in and out lands shots gets out of range again I think he's going to keep this a lot closer than need be the way I would look at it, though, is fight goes the distance, minus 210. Uh, I know it's a little bit chalky for certain, but with John mcdessey again, he's not knocked out anybody in seven years. He's not known for his power. He is a striker, and he is quite defensively sound. People used to laugh out of him because he called a t- uh, timeout mid-fight against Donald Cerrone, but he had his jaw broken, man. Like, you think that's comfortable? <laughs> like, come on. For the most part. The guy's chin's really not all that bad. And for Hack paras, same thing goes with him. Drew Dober's got absolute TNT in his hands, so he was able to devastate him. But outside of that, his chin's quite good. Dan Hooker put a beating on him. Bobby Green, no punching power, but again, landed big, big volume on it. He's able to wear the storm. So I just feel like no matter who wins, that fight goes to distance. Minus 210 seems the best way. If you're good about Hack Hakperaz, straight up, it's 230. So I'm saving 20 cents on that. And it saves me if John McDessie pulls the upset, right? So... Flight goes the distance minus 210 is the most logical but I'm not faulting anybody that takes the shot on John Mcdessey I think he's live I think he could outpoint him him by decision in specific I think is like minus 330 minus 340 all that makes sense here's the thing that I can't get behind 37 years old hasn't yeah. fought in a year and a half on record talking about lots of injuries Ugh, lots of injuries. And the dude coaching his opponent knows everything about him and taught him martial arts from the time he was an amateur fighter to now. So psychologically, that's got to play something. Age, injuries, year and a half off, going to a different country. Um, I don't know. Like, all of that's just enough to put enough cast enough doubt in my mind that I would rather just take FICO's the distance and try to play it safe.
0: Yeah, that's probably the best way to go here. Again, with the guy at 37 years old coming off that type of layoff, I, I don't feel that good about it either.
1: Yeah, knee injuries too. So it's like if your reflexes are a little bit slower than they used to be, you're not going to get out of the pocket quite as quickly. And as much as we can say, dude, he looked good against Ignacio Baja One, Baja is like 23 years old at the time and didn't know shit. He was green. Dude looks like he's going to be a serious problem now. But John definitely caught him at the right time. John also did get hit like 112 centimeters yeah. in that fight. But then one fight prior against Francisco Trinaldo, he just got dog walked. Trinaldo, yeah. just, he just backed him up the whole time, backed him up, backed him up. John would try to throw something. Trinaldo would just counter and back him up again. Like he had zero answer and he lost a 30, 27 across the board. Yeah. I could see Hack Ross doing the same thing, especially if John's feeling old and hurt. But again, he seems motivated. He's saying he's healthy, which is a big deal because he generally fights hurt. Yeah, yeah, it could be closer than need be. But in both scenarios, I am just feeling that fight goes the distance.
0: I like it. All right, let's move on because we got three fights left, Cody. And I think we're doing pretty good time as well. Only an hour and 20 into this podcast. We only got three fights left. This might be a record for how quickly we're able to get through propping you up. All right, let's get through this next fight. And again, a fight that I'm kind of scratching my head in terms of the placement of it. But we got two middleweights going at it. We got Alessio DiCarico taking on Roman Kopilov. In terms of odds, this one is pretty much a dead pick-em now. Uh, Deke Rico was a slight favorite earlier in the week, but it was uh, money and action coming in on Kopilov, which has pretty much made this a minus 110 fight on both sides. Now, Kopilov came into the UFC with a little bit of hype on him because of how he's been dispatching of guys on the regional scene. Pretty much finished every one of his opponents on the regional scene with his impressive striking arsenal, good combinations, good just swagger about him that he just seemed to intimidate most of these guys before the fight even started, and he was able to squash them. Then he comes into the UFC, falls against Carl Roberson, where his cardio and his output looked very abysmal, and then ultimately Carl Roberson finishes him in the last round of that fight. Then he comes back and has a, you know, uh, an inspiring-ish performance against Albert drive A lot of people expected him to get squashed there, but he made it very difficult for drive to get much off. You know, Durayev's eye uh, pretty much swell up in that fight and could have been stopped as well, but we saw him, uh, you know, gut through that and pull out that victory. But Kopilov, you know, really not showing what we saw on the regional scene. When going into taping this fight, I really thought I was going to come out on the Kopilov side thinking that, hey, this is the fight that I'll likely have to pull the trigger on Kopilov and thinks he bounces back and then finally gets the first win in his UFC career. But man, it's so hard to trust this version of him. Like If we see even a glimpse of what he used to look like on the regional scene, I might be interested in taking a, a shot on him here at, at near evens here. But man, like it, it's not... Trust whether you whatsoever. I think he's the better technical striker here, and I think he's just a better fighter uh, than LSU Carico. but DiCurico just has that veteran in him now, right? He hasn't really had the greatest UFC run, but he just keeps hanging in there. Everybody expecting him to be a sacrificial lamb to Joaquin Buckley, but he smacks Buckley upside the head and knocks him out clean in that fight with a beautiful head kick. So he's just staying in the UFC ever so slightly, but when you're losing striking battles to Zach Cummings, it's just not a good sign to me. If Kopilov's cardio looks good, if Kopilov finally starts pulling the trigger, he's definitely going to look a lot better than minus 110. I lean on the Kopilov side here. I do think he will be able to outstrike Kriko here and uh, touch him up from the outside. I think he wins this fight by decision. Kopilov by decision currently sits at plus 200, um, but I just don't have uber confidence on either side, honestly. I'm not a big Kriko fan. I don't think he's the greatest fighter, and Kopilov just is leaving a lot to be desired still compared to what we've been seeing from the regional scene from him. I'll pass this on to you with one question because Cloudbet actually has a uh, prop on this matchup. Who will end up with the most significant strikes? You're getting Alessio Di Carico at minus 125 and Roman Klopilov at plus 104. What are you taking in that prop and then ultimately break down this fight?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting prop because I feel like Coppilov will probably land the more volume. He's got better hand speed, better boxing combinations, but I feel like Di is going to try to get a hold of him, clinch up, take him down, slow this thing down. And if that's the case, I think Di can win the fight. But it'd be one of those fights where you do get outstruck but still win. Does that make sense? You're getting the takedowns, you're getting the position, you're getting that, but you're not really landing a whole lot. Uh, Rico doesn't ever land really anything. If you look at his uh, pretty much all of his fights, his body of work, it's like fifty. Fifty seems to be like a good number for him. Against Zach Cummings, full fifteen minutes, he landed fifty-three. Against Muradov, a full fifteen minutes, he lands thirty-six. Against Kevin Holland, a full fifteen minutes, fifty-one. Julian Marquez, fifty. It's all that same range. Fifty. 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 Doesn't really throw a whole lot, right? So I could feel like Kopulov might be able to slightly outbox him and put up better numbers, but I feel like the the takedown is going to make the difference for Alicio Di Chirico. I'm not high on this guy by no stretch. He's also coming off his first knockout loss of his career. It was in 17 seconds, so it's not exactly the best look, but uh, assuming he's shaked off the cobwebs and feels good. Physically, looks like he's in much better shape. He's been looking to implement his wrestling a lot more in a lot of his fights, and I just feel like he's a little more versatile. You're absolutely right in the Zach Cummins fight. Getting outstruck by him is a bad look he was one second away from winning that fight yeah (laughs) one second one second and he gets kicked in the fucking head and just crumples and that loses in the third round because he was winning the third round yeah that seals the deal the other way so in another world it's like oh man he could have won that fight the Machman muradov fight he looks like trash for the first two rounds but the third round he tires muradov out his cardio looked good there he brought it on won the third wasn't enough against kevin holland um and it was, he was somewhat in the fight with Kevin Holland, which I think is decent. Holland's not obviously terrible. So know there's like certain spots here and there you can put together, but uh, he's got decent kicks from range. He's got okay wrestling. I think he's going to try to close up the distance and take Kopulov down. And then that would be the key. Roman Kopulov, you nailed it. You watch this guy on the regional scene in Russia. Looks like he's going to be a problem. You see him in the UFC. He's not the same guy. Why that is, I couldn't tell you. But uh, of course, you'll know Katus Abramov, right? Have you ever looked up Katusa Obragimov lately?
0: Oh, God. What is he on, like, a 7 5 losing streak or what? Please,
1: please, by all <laughs> means, check out Katusa Abramov right now, right? And he is exactly like Roman Kopulov as far as I'm concerned. Uh, in Katusa's case, right, he's a joke, right? Because he went 8-0 and and then signed with the UFC where he lost to Dong Jung, first ever loss of his career. He got choked out. Then he lost to Ed Herman. That's definitely a bad look. Then he lost to Roman Deletes then he lost to Danilo Marquez and just like that he went from 8 and 0 undefeated to 4 fight losing streak 0 and 4 in the UFC released since his release he's 5 and 0 in the russian regionals oh, wow. he's beaten a guy that's 10 and 1 he beat a guy that was 12 and 3 he's doing a little pro boxing on the side who who knows if it's the juice who knows if it's the <laughs> environment who knows if it's the level of competition is more disguised but it's like they have way more success over there Kopylov came to the UFC i thought this guy's going to be a problem but yeah, I mean in, in his UFC debut, it's like he looks way out of it of sorts. He gets taken down the third choke tip by Carl Roberson. Oh man, bad look. Then he takes over two years off. So that's where you should have seen the progression of him. If he was getting better in the time away from the sport, it would have been that two year long layoff. He comes back in against Albert Duraev and uh, gave a better account of himself, but still got control for six minutes of the fight off the one takedown. Durayev is gassed the whole time. loves gassed the whole time. He dropped Durayev and then allows Durayev just to grab the hold of the clinch again. Like no awareness, no footwork. He doesn't kick. He only only throws punches to the head. He's so one-dimensional, right? And he's getting taken down. That might be enough to beat Alessio DiTrico. Really, it might be. I just got a feeling that DiTrico is going to mix the martial arts a little better. And that's going to be the difference. You know, you can strike at some point, throw some kicks, kick the leg try to take him down, try to lean on him, try to, you know, try to impose your will a little bit and just like uh add different layers to it, make him think about different things, cause him to fight, cause him to react, probably get the win, right? So I am going to take Di Churgo by decision. But this is a this is a greasy fight. It's a fight that I don't think you want a whole lot of exposure to.
0: Yeah, it is a very very tough fight to call and I'm just looking at that uh Khadiz um, record right now. Uh, Nine-second uppercut victory two fights ago. So,
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know because trust me, I bet the guy a few times in the UFC before I was like, whoa, what's going on here? But it was like the guy that I watched on the Russian regional was not the guy. Go back and watch him versus uh, Giga Kukagashvili. Watch him versus that Stefan Puetz. He's a beast, man. And then in the UFC, it's like he threw no punches. He stood there and stared at his opponent and then would lose it was like he gas he wouldn't throw punches it was like this is not the same guy don't know what it is kopilov i'm not saying it's going to be to that extent but again the guy that you see on the regional he gets a lot of fourth round finishes right because he's got great cardio he continuously pushes a pace in the third and fourth round his opponents are tired and they start to curl over and he just starts letting his hands go and gets those combinations going and all of a sudden he puts them over in the ufc he's got no cardio he's gassed after two so like What's the difference? What's the difference? I mean, supplements, most supplements. people would say EPO, right? That's that's <laughs> the very likely difference. But uh, just because I'm not looking for you to get any legal troubles, I'm not going to outright come and say EPO. EPO. That's all i got to say about that.
0: How do you spell it out in French? Maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah. EPO. <laughs> i love it i love it all right let's get to the co-main event here which is a banger of a fight man i'm very much looking forward to this one it is a pivotal middleweight fight between robert whitaker and marvin vittori just pull up the beautiful graphic here courtesy of the all-stars app make sure you guys go check them out uh robert whitaker coming in as a favorite here at minus 210 interestingly enough though uh action coming in heavily on the uh, Marvin Vittori side over the last couple of days. So Robert Whitaker originally around minus 240. Now here he is as a uh, minus 210 favorite now against Marvin Vittori. Now I get why people are taking the Vittori side. The skill set wise, you know, it's kind of closer than what the odds indicate, right? Not to mention that uh, both guys are top five guys. Uh, so to have such a wide range I completely understand why uh, or sorry, wide odds. I can see why people are actually willing to take that shot on Vittori. But Personally, I just can't get there. I really think that uh, Whitaker is that much better than Vittori in every single aspect of MMA outside of outmuscling him. Right. Like that's where Vittori could probably get the upper hand is by pushing him up against the cage, bullying him like he's been able to bully uh, opponents in the past. That's usually been his calling card in a lot of fights. But I think he's going to struggle to do that against a better technical fighter here in Robert Whitaker, who, again, in my opinion, should be able to get out of those bad positions up against the cage, should be the one quicker to the punches, right? He's going to have the speed and footwork advantage here compared to that slow plotting version of uh, Marvin Vittori that we see time and time again. that's where I think that's going to cause Marvin problems because I don't think that Marvin will be able to get a hold of him and use that grapple-heavy style or even that strength and try to bully him. So I do like Whitaker here. The guy's still only 31 years old, right? He still has plenty of time in his prime to showcase that he's still one of the best metalweights in the world. And considering that he had a very you know, solid performance uh, against Adesanya last, night, uh, last time, even in a losing effort, I still think that he has enough left in the, the can here or, or the tank here to pretty much go out there and beat some of these guys in that top five the to top three range of the middleweight division so i get why people are iffy on that minus minus two 10-ish line and why that line continues to come down but i still think that whitaker is the side here um but taking him by decision is probably the best way to go about it right he has uh minus 115 minus 120 is the line that i'm currently seeing for whitaker by decision uh and i think that's the best way to do it because he hasn't finished anybody in over five years marvin vittori has never been finished in his career period and i think it's going to be very difficult for Whitaker to find that kill shot to put him out in this spot. So give me Whitaker, Whitaker by decision. I don't hate anybody taking the Vittori money line, but I think uh Robert will still get his hand raised here. Couple cloud bet props here for you, Cody. I'll answer or ask you these two and then I'll pass it on over to you. Uh firstly, most takedowns uh is either gonna be Robert Whitaker minus 115 or Marvin Vittori minus 105, and then uh over significant strikes for Whitaker is set at 73 and a half. So who gets the most takedowns? And do you think that Whitaker gets over 73 significant strikes?
1: I think Vitoria gets the most takedowns. Whitaker does get over the strike number. I think Marvin Vittori okay. probably shoots the takedown. I don't know that Robert Whitaker's game plan revolves around trying to wrestle this man down as much as it's going to be Matador him around. And taking him down going to be a bit of a task. He's built like a cement cinder block. I think if anything, he's just going to maybe try to mix it in here and there to just have him uh, thinking about something different, get out of the way. Vittori, meanwhile, he'll be trying to press for a few takedowns to slow Robbie down. And I think he probably does get a couple of them. I think Whitaker pops up right back up right away, but it's still going to count as a takedown. So this is a spot where I can see Vittori getting one or two takedowns, Whitaker getting zero or maybe one, and Vittori getting that. As far as the strike goes... Um, yeah, yeah, I love, I love that. I love that. I love the over on that and, uh, very excited about that because listen, when you're Robert Whitaker, this is such a, uh, like a treat to go back and tape watch a lot of this because like when you talk about grappler versus wrestler, it's a striker versus, uh, you know, a jitsu guy and it's all these different styles versus styles, but we also talk about striker versus striker, right? Striker versus striker seems very up forward. Yeah. It's just, it's just two strikers going at it. But then you break down, like, what kind of striking, right? Are they kickers? Are they boxers? Do they use their knees? Are they Muay Thai guys? And what's the footwork like? It's, like, all these different dimensions of it. And Robert Whitaker's case, is that, like, he wants to counterpunch. The guy wants to counterpunch. Unfortunately for him, almost everybody he fights is a counterpuncher. Both times he fights Yo Romero, Yo's sitting there waiting, like, yo, come to me, dog. So Robbie's forced to go and do it. His fight with Israel Adesanya, one of the better counterpunchers in the games, same thing. Come to me. Darren Till fight. Darren Till's a counterpuncher. The Jared Cannonier fight. Jared Cannonier looks to counterpunch. The Kelvin Gaslam fight. That's the first time in a very long time that someone was like, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to make it a fight. And as a result, in that fight, you see Robert Whitaker land 150 significant strikes. How is that possible? How does he throw up a career high like that? How does he, from one fight prior where he puts up, he went, he went 25 minutes with Darren Till, landed 69. He went 25 with Robert, with uh, with Kevin Gaslam and landed 150. How is that possible? Because it's the striking style. Darren Till's looking to lay back. Darren Till's not looking to exert himself. It's the fact that he landed zero significant strikes against Tyron Woodley. He doesn't throw. He looks to counter. If you're going to come at Robert Whitaker, that's what brings out the best in him. That's where he's at his best. And in that Kevin Gaslam fight, everything he's throwing is two, three punch combinations. Darts out of the way, lands, finishes with a big old head kick, drops him at the start of the first round. Sorry, not the first round. I believe it's the third round. He drops him with a head kick. It's like he's on point. Drop Jared Cannonier with the exact same head kick. It's like the kicking game's there. The ability to move out of harm's way is there to evade most of the damage, to have these guys miss on a lot of their punches, and then come back with two or three at a time. In a five-round fight, what Whitaker's problem is is that he starts to accumulate damage, and as he gets damaged, things start to hurt him more. He looks like he's fatigued, not fatigued, He's hurt, right? The longer these fights go, is an accumulation. And in Vittori's case, he's kind of a bit of a slow starter. Like if you watch versus Jack him versus Jack Hermanson, four and five, he's just absolutely walking him backwards and landing. Him versus Paulo Costa, the longer the fight goes, you know, he's able to not that it was a five-round fight, but just the longer you're able to tire this man down, it's like that's where he's gonna have his success. Against Whitaker, three-round fight. I think Whitaker gets to jump on him. Banks a couple rounds, survives if need be. Whitaker, Whitaker by decision. Same thing you mentioned minus 115. It's about even money. I don't fault nobody for taking the Vittori shot. I wanted to take the Vittori shot. <clears throat> but the way he fights is he wants to step in the pocket and he wants to throw down. That's why Paulo Costa obliged him. That's why his numbers look so good against Paulo Costa. against someone like Whitaker that's going to look to Matadorum, use his footwork, get out of harm's way, counter, and get out of there. It's going to be much tougher to track down. So look at him when he's comfortable, like the Paulo Costa fight, where you're just standing in the pocket, and look at him versus Israel Adesanya. Him versus Adesanya, he's not throwing anything. It's like he's nervous. It's like he can't quite figure out where the guy is. He can't quite figure out the distance. And I get Izzy is Izzy for a reason. He's you know a master manipulator. He's excellent at finding the range, right? Uh, Whitaker is a former world champion as well. He's a guy that's able to make round-to-round adjustments, mid-round adjustments if need be. He's tough. He's durable. He's been dropped a whole lot. But, I mean, to his credit, he gets back up. He finds ways to survive. He recoups. His cardio is world-class. I just feel like there's a lot that you could get behind him. The money line, I do not like. But the fact that Vittori is that durable and Whitaker's not really knocking guys out as much as he used to would screen that if he's going to win, he's going to have to do it by 15 minute decision. And so, for to get an even money play instead of a minus 210 play, much better.
0: I love it. I'm glad that we're on the same page there. You know, I was getting a little bit discouraged with my Whitaker takes, especially seeing how many people on were on Vittori. But once you really start to get that, uh, that price tag in mind and seeing the angle that they're taking it from, which I completely agree with, right? Like if you see a discrepancy in the line, you should take advantage of it. And they're taking advantage of it. But I think ultimately this is going to be one of those spots where even with the line incorrect, we should still get a good cash on Whitaker here, but even better if you're able to take that uh, Whitaker by decision.
1: Yeah, and I know people are saying like, "Oh man, uh, oh man, geez, uh, he's gonna he's gonna go take Robert Whitaker down." It's like I don't I don't know that I'm super confident about that. Like Marv, in Marvin Vittori's game, it's like, "Well, who's he who's he taking down?" Well, dude took down Kevin Hall eleven times. It's like, yeah, right, Kevin Hall. <laughs> well, like, who else is he taking down? Oh, Carl Roberson. Oh, okay. Like, who else is he taking down? Izzy, right? But he couldn't hold him down. Got about five minutes of top control. For the record, he took Izzy down four times, and so did Robert Whitaker. But all the same, I don't know that his wrestling is that much better than Whitaker's. And Whitaker's case, the first time he fought Yul Romero, Yul went four for 18 on takedowns. And the second time he fought Yul Romero, Yul went three for 10 on takedowns. Like the fucking guy knows how to wrestle, right? So uh, yeah, I'm hoping he's got to keep the fight standing and then. Really, it's going to be Matador in the bull, right? Hitting him, getting out of harm's way, and just frustrating him. Using that jab, switching stances if need be, soften him up. Not going to knock him out, but just like keep him at the end of your shots. Use the big cage, right? Use every bit of it. Because this guy uh, doesn't seem to feel a whole lot of pain and just comes forward, right? So you're going to have to just play smart.
0: I like it. I like it. All right. We are about to break down the main event for you guys of UFC Paris, but I quickly want to give a shout-out to everybody that's watching the show live right now. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already. If you are watching this on the back end, make sure you guys do the same. But also drop a comment below with your favorite prop of the card as well. We'll see if that ends up hitting. Uh, and then in terms of the sponsors for the show, specifically betonline.ag, shout-out to those guys over there for supporting the show on a constant basis. Uh, you can get a, a initial deposit uh, sorry, if you deposit with them and use the promo code down below, you'll be able to get your initial deposit matched up to $1,000. So make sure you guys take full advantage of that. Uh, and then lastly, obviously, CloudBet, they've been providing us special props specifically for propping you up, which we've been highlighting throughout this card. We got a bunch to talk about after we wrap up the main event as well that have to has to do with the entire card. So make sure you guys stick around for that. Uh, and then lastly, the All-Star. Make sure you guys show them some love. And then obviously check out that uh, the app of theirs that has those beautiful tell of the tapes that we've been showing throughout the the, the podcast as well. Not to mention, they want to end up being the one-stop shop for you guys in terms of uh, any MMA information you need, odds, uh, stats, all that stuff. They're building out a great product on the website. So make sure you go check that out as well as their app, both of which you can access in the description below. All right, let's get to the main event here, Cody. We're going to be talking about a heavyweight fight between former title contender and former interim title holder, which is the title that you see Ciragan holding in that uh, that tail of the day picture there. Uh, he's going up against Tai Tuivasa. Obviously, big odds here on Gun. He's coming in at minus five twenty. Plus four ten is the return on Tai Tuivasa. I think this is probably one of the easiest fights to break down on the entire card, right? Sarah doing Sarah things, whether that's, you know, kicking Ty to from the outside, using the big cage to his advantage and staying on the outside and picking him apart. Or Ty finds that button on Sarah or he chops his legs down enough that he eventually slows down gone and lands a big shot on the, on the feet. Um, but I, I think it's going to be, you know, it, it would be a bigger shocker to me if Tai Tuivasa lands that big shot here against Gunn than it would have been when Leon Edwards knocked out Kamar Usman, Honestly, because I I respect Ghan's disciplined striking approach and footwork that much that I'd be surprised if Tai Tuivasa is able to catch him here. the The problems that I'm having with this matchup are the props, Cody. Like. People just want to go to the well and be like, okay, just take Ciragón round four or five decision or take Ciragón decision or take over two and a half because that's what kind of Ciragón you normally get. But like, I wonder what the outside of cage factors are going to do for him here, right? We're talking about a guy that's coming off a, uh, a title shot loss, a guy who's fighting in front of his home country for the first time on the biggest stage in the world. Is he going to want to go out there and put on some sort of statement? Is he going to look to try to take Taiyatui Vasu to the ground and smash him from on top or look for a submission opportunity? Because we know that he's proficient with submissions from on top, right? He's had a couple of submission victories already on his record due to that. Three, to be exact. He could do that here against Taiyatui Vasu, who has been submitted in the past, right? It wasn't that long ago that Sergei Spivak took this guy to the ground and choked him out. Cyril Gan could do the exact same thing here. That's why I'm very confused with the uh, the, the prop to actually target in this matchup. I think the, the long shot sprinkle on, well, it's not much of a long shot, but you can get roughly plus 500 on gone by submission. I might take a little bit of a sprinkle on that myself, but I think that uh, gone will likely win this fight any, which way that he wants. I don't know why you would take plus four ten tied to Ivasa on his mind line. When you can get almost my, or sorry, plus 700 on his KO line. That's probably the only way that he wins this fight. Um, but yeah, I, I do like the Sura gone side here. Um, and I'll, Toss this question up to you. Another special cloud bet prop. Significant strikes for Syrogon over under 62 and a half. I am scratching my head on this one, Cody, because I just don't know what kind of Syrogan we're gonna get, but I'm damn certain that he pulls out the victory. How do you see this one going down?
1: Yeah, well, in terms of the uh over-under and the strikes, yeah, I got over all day. I mean, he pretty much lands that against everybody. He landed that against. Francis Ngannou, he hit it with 63. In his fight before, Derek Lewis, 98. Volkov, 135. Yarosina Rosenstruck, 102. Uh, Junior DeSantos, he had 59, right? He knocked him out in the second round. So, like, yeah, he's got volume. I think if Tai the last two rounds with him, he's probably going to hit the over in the number. Yeah, it's the, like you're saying. What version of you do you see him? Did, does he go out there and try to get a, land a flashy KO? Does he strike with him to appease the crowd? Or does he take the path of least resistance? Get the takedown and look for the submission. I mean, all good questions. All good questions indeed. But yeah, I think the prop that I would look for is the inside the distance, minus 150, right? I mean, he could submit him. He could knock him out. But I would just think that the longer the fight goes, Taito is not built for 25 minutes of cardio. And of course, this is not the first time that he's fought this exact same type of opponent. He's done this multiple times. When you talk about who's got the most power in the division, you know, geez, there's, you know, Rosenstruck, he, he touches you, you're in trouble. Yeah, but he didn't touch him. He didn't come nowhere near him. Cyril Ghanu, mine his P's and Q's, excellent forward, plays the range game, beats him up. Derek Lewis, tremendous amount of power. Francis Ngannou, tremendous amount of power. None of these guys were able to hit him flush. Ngannou actually hit him with a couple of decent shots, and guy's not even phased by it. So I think that his ability to roll with the shots is definitely helping him out. His durability is solid. He's still only 32, which is very young at heavyweight. I think you're just going to see a better version of him. Against Ty, he's got somebody that's actually slower than all those guys. He's slower than Francis Ngannou. He's slower than Derek Lewis. Uh, although he's got big power. It's heavyweight. Everybody's got big power, but Ty's got those leg kicks. That what I think would be the difference of his game is that guy that trained with Mark He is going to sit down on those kicks. He's going to try to buckle up the legs and maybe just try to slow down Ghan. If Gone slows down, then maybe he can line him up with that big shot, but yeah, I don't see it happening. If Francis Ngannou couldn't get his striking going against you whatsoever, I don't think anybody in this division is going to go out there with a game plan of outstrike this man. What you have to do is do the same thing that Francis did mix it up with the wrestling. Only there's the problem. Tai also shows a 0% takedown accuracy. In fact, he's only ever attempted three takedowns in the UFC, two in his debut and one against Augusto Sakai. So effectively one takedown in the last five years attempted, did not get it. Do you really think he's going to go out there and take down gone and hold him down for periods of time? Really don't see it happening, but, uh, it's either going to be a gone third round submission or a gone fourth round TKO. But, uh, I see him getting him out of there at some point. Ty's got the shoey. He's got the fan fit, or the fan uh, appeal. Everybody loves him. Yeah, that I I totally get. It's easy to get behind this guy. But when you look at his last five wins, Stefan Struve, seven feet tall, no chin, tailor made for Ty. Harry Hunsucker, just fought at 205, released from the promotion, 0 3. Greg Hardy, no longer with the promotion. Greg Hardy's got Ty rocked and then steps in and gets knocked out. Augustus Sakai, not a great fight. Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis also has tied to. Ivasa rocked. and then gasses is out and loses. So, <laughs> is they're all tailor made opponents for him. And in two of those instances, he got rocked. The other thing in the Sakai fight, because not much happens, and he knocks him out in the second, but when they're in the clinch, Sakai bombs him with knees to the body, and he's got almost no answer for it. So I would think Gon in the clinch is going to be able to do the same thing. He's got that Muay Thai, the Muay Thai clinch. He's going to be able to soften him up, knees to the body, at range, much faster, use the jab, beat him with the punch, frustrate him. If he overcommits, take him down. All goes his way. So inside the distance, Gon, because I don't know if he TKOs him or submits him. So, I just got to roll with the inside the distance. In terms of your over under props, I don't mind the over two and a half. I like the over one and a half, minus 200. I don't mind the over two and a half. But now, now you're starting to get into a heavyweight fight that's going late. And you got Ty Tuivasa, who hasn't fought past like seven minutes in a long ass time, right? So, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would want to get into those deeper rounds four, round five, all possible for sure. But if you're Thai, you're a six to one underdog. You're a knockout guy. You do a shooey. You celebrate. You're not looking to point fight this guy. You're not looking to wrestle this guy. You're, you're looking to go out there and let your hands go. And that'll be to his detriment or to his success. He's either going to die on his shield and knock out gone, or uh, he's going to miss. He's going to tire himself out. And just like Derek Lewis, you know, he's going to curl over from fatigue and then just clean shots are going to are going to mount up. But the last thing, only thing I don't really care about gone is like he lacks that killer instinct. Like even in the Derek Lewis fight, pops him in the face end of the second round. Lewis complains of an eye poke. Referee's like, no, man, that's a closed punch to the eye. And at no point does Gon swarm him. 14 seconds left on the clock. Here's the 10-second clapper, stands there, stares. He plays with his food a little too long. That's why I don't want to hit like an under 2.5 or an under 3.5. I just feel like 25 minutes is a long time for Ty to be in there. And at some point, he's going to curl over. So inside the distance, Gon, minus 150. That's what I'm going with.
0: I like it. Uh, I, I like the inside the distance play. Now that I'm thinking about it a little bit more, you know, I was kind of hanging myself up on the round four or five decision prop that you know a couple of these books offer. But uh, yeah, inside the distance minus minus fifty, you know, turning a minus five twenty into a minus five one fifty, I'm down with as well. So I definitely see that angle. All right, let's get to the special cloud bread props that we have for this card here, and then we'll get to our three best bets, and we'll get out of here for you guys. We'll quickly go into this There's only a couple that we got to go over. Fight of the night, Cody. What are you thinking is gonna take home those honors for this card?
1: Fight of the night. I am going to go with Miranda versus Saint Denis. I think Saint Denis is a wild man. I think Miranda is a pretty big wild man. And I just I don't think this is gonna be one of your fight of the night's three hard rounds, as much as it's gonna be your fight of the night, like two and a half rounds of just absolute action pack, blood, sweat, and tears. Hopefully, Saint Denis walks out the winner because I got money on him. Um, but I think it could be a good fight. And a plus 1,200, I just feel like it's one of the ones that's maybe flying under the radar a little bit.
0: Yeah, I would split mine probably over Kanona's Taha, as well as wood Uh as wood Jourdain, sits a 700, but Canonas Taha, plus 1,200 as well. But yeah, I think it's going to be a grappler's delight for Miranda and Saint-Denis, and it should make for some great scrambles, some great moments, and that could potentially take home fight of the night as well. Uh, fastest finish on the main card. What are you thinking here?
1: fastest finish on the main card i am going to go with uh i'm gonna go with Cyril gone again by way of i think he's going to finish even if it happens in the third round gomez I got, i'm picking against him whitaker by decision jaro aarons is more of a decision guy i think and i'm already pulling him for the upset oh shit charles rodney plus 1000 yeah yeah sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna reel back on that one i think charles, if anybody's gonna just soar through the air and score some crazy quick knockout at plus 1000 Got to be Air Jorday, right? I think
0: so. Because a lot of these guys, I'm expecting them to go to a decision, right? Same here. Gone in
1: Jorday, I can see the
0: yeah. inside there. Hey, Wood at plus 1500 could be sneaky, especially if he's able to pull off that submission in round yeah. one, round two. But uh, I think it's between those three guys that likely get to finish. I don't think any of the other guys end up finishing either. Maybe Kopilov and DiCurico could surprise us again, but uh, I doubt it. Uh, and then lastly, uh, this is actually in. Uh, according to the last fight that we talked about. Will Tai Tuivasa record a takedown? No is minus 250. Yes is plus 210. What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, so this is the kind of thing that if I hit it right now, it would only let me put $100 on it because that's your soft limit because it's free money. Mm-hmm. Tai Tuivasa Ivasa going to score a takedown. First of all, never scored a takedown in the UFC. Second of all, only ever attempted three of them. Third of all, with Gon, I don't think he ever thought, man, Francis is going to try to take me down, right? It's going to be an aspect of his game he's working on. And I don't know why nobody talks about this, but I'll bring it up one last time. Gon wins the first two rounds, okay? The third round, he's winning, and he gets taken down twice. So we'll give this the third round for Francis. Francis takes him down in the, in the fourth round. Damn, okay, now it's a 2-2. Whoever wins this fifth round is the heavyweight champion of the world, all to play for. Gon makes the unnecessary adjustments, and he actually takes Francis and Ganu down. Gets on top of him. Three minutes left on the clock. Don't remind quite me. Like literally all he Don't has to do is me. sit right there. And the motherfucker <laughs> grabs a goddamn ankle lock <laughs> and falls back on it. Like quite possibly the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Francis gets on top. Francis smothers him. Francis wins the fight. And everybody remembers it as like, oh, yeah, Gon couldn't wrestle. He blew it. Like, no, man, he could have won that fight. He'd be the champion of the world right now, and he'd be a 10-to-1 favorite over Tai Tuivasa. But he made a bonehead decision. Sure to God, you go back to the gym. Sure to God, you fix that. Sure to God, you don't show up and get taken down by Tai Tuivasa in your next fight. So, one, Tai's not going to shoot. Two, Gon's going to be able to stuff him, even if he attempted to. So, uh, yeah, I mean, minus 250, sweet. There's a prop on it's like who scores more takedowns, Tuivasa or Gone. And it's like nine to one for Gone. <laughs> Nobody expects Tuivasa to come yeah. out here and uh, wrestle him. And I get it's one single takedown. But again, he's never scored one single takedown in like 10 UFC fights, Yeah, uh, 11 UFC fights. I-, I don't know. I would have to say 250, smash it.
0: I wouldn't be surprised to see Tuivasa try to sneak in a takedown and see if he could take advantage of what Francis Ngannou was able to take advantage of. And, like, if you're giving me even money, sure, I'll take the no, but, like, at plus 210, maybe, maybe, maybe he tries to pull a rabbit out of his head and be like, hey, maybe I can pull off a takedown here and and surprise somebody, but... You know it's what? It's not likely. It, it, not would, not it, likely.
1: Would, it would be like me being like, geez, Benoit Saint Denis versus Miranda. You know what? There's some nice plus money on this fight, goes the distance. Here's the thing 31 combined fights. Yeah. Never <laughs> been to. You know what? I sense some regression. Fuck all of that. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't bring four, up that R word. Don't which means it's going to happen right now. What? <laughs> Nobody knows why. Yeah. But it's going to. And then. Uh, does does it doesn't happen? So yeah, tied. Suddenly going out there and becoming uh Jordan burroughs I don't know about <laughs> that, man. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's get to our three best prop bets. Then we'll get on out of here. I'll kick things off as always. First fight. Our first one, I'm going to be going with Woodvia's Mission plus 800. I think that line is a little bit off considering how much of a, you know, jujitsu advantage I expect him to have in this matchup. His ability to get it there, you know, that remains to be seen. And, uh, you know, I I do think there's a good chance he can get into the grappling realm. uh, And that at that point, I think that submission will be live. But at plus 800, I got to take a little bit of a shot. On that next up, I'm going to be going with Magomedov inside the distance at plus 120. I am not, uh, I don't, I do not think that uh, Dustin Stoltzfus will, Stoltzfus will have much of a shot in this fight. Personally, uh, I did, th- I do think that Magomedov's striking is going to be better. I think if he wants to take it to the ground, he could have success there as well. But I think at a certain point, he's going to be able to find that finish. Plus 120, sign me up. And then lastly, Saint Denis. Miranda, a little bit chalky here. Fight doesn't go to decision. Minus 270. I do think that this fight's going to be a, a fight, honestly, in terms of the grappling. Either one of these guys wraps up a submission early or St. Denis manages to wear him out and eventually finish him probably in the latter second or early third round. Cody that's good yeah
1: imagine being on a roulette table and it's like dude blacks come up 31 times in a row it's like dude let's bet red it's like why why so i hear what you're saying whitaker (laughs) by decision minus 115 if whitaker's gonna win this fight he's gonna win it by decision i like him to win just the money line's a little too thick and he's not submitting vittori i don't think he's knocking out vittori this would be the logical path to victory for him and you're saving something like 95 points on it so we got to go with that Whitaker by decision, minus 115. Keeping it in that near-even money range. We're going to know St. Denis Miranda over one and a half. Good news for you, we can both hit here. We just (laughs) need the right to end after the one and a half. If you look at Miranda, he's all submissions all the time, yet he's never been submitted. If you look at St. Denis, he's all submissions all the time, and yet he's never been submitted. It's grappler versus grappler, but their submission defense checks out. I don't doubt that one guy's going to get tired and then his game's going to fall apart, but he's not going to get tired before that seven and a half minute mark, I don't believe. So for that reason, I got to say that over one and a half, minus at 115. And then, you know, if I'm just going to hit a bunch of uh, even money plays, I got to get some little bit of action. So plus 500 on that uh fig via ko at plus 500 again looking at if you just want to like you know tapology cap it or wiki cap it dude doesn't got a wiki page so he can't wiki cap it you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah well geez he's been a decision in his last three tapo fights cap. he's more tapo of a decision cap. guy yeah yeah tapo cap tapo cap that's actually a good name for something anyway he's a tapo <laughs> guy. yeah uh, basically he's got a lot of volume he's got a lot of pace he tries to put it on opponent's With Zayam, he's going to be fighting in front of his friends and family at home. Surely that's going to be a benefit to him. But he stands very tall and upright. He's got suspect takedown defense. I don't think he deals particularly well with pressure. He does move well and have good footwork. So I can see him using the big case to try to stay to the outside as much as he can. But he just got cut from the UFC after a bad run. The two wins in the UFC he does have are super debatable. He's known for throwing almost no output. Simply surviving and playing the outside is not enough. He's 25 years old. He's going to have to fight back. And I think the FIGLAC overwhelms him. It's the plus 500 price tag that looks best to me here more than anything. So that's why I would be uh, chasing that one.
0: I like it. Some juicy props there for you guys. A little bit of a chalky one on my side, but still feel like we can have. He's least got a plus
1: eight hundred. I had to even it out. I had to even it out. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, appreciate everybody checking out the show as always. Again, we're back for three straight weeks of some UFC content, and then the following three weeks, Cody. There's only one UFC event between the September 27th weekend and October 8th weekend, uh, but I'm sure people will be making good use of that. I believe it's Canadian Thanksgiving around that time as well, so at least we'll be able to spend some time with the family. Uh, I'll give you the platform one last time for anything you want to say, my friend, and then I'll wrap this thing up.
1: Yeah, I got it all figured out. There was like 18 straight UFCs and then one <laughs> week break. So I got married. And then we got hey. three we got three more UFCs and then I have a kid. And then and then yeah, and then I've got two weeks, figure it out, jump back on it. Of course we got Contender Series and then PFL finals are wrapping up. Beltrow's coming back. So There'll be different spots, but uh, it's an exciting time to be, you know, in the community, right? I mean, there's just a lot of good content going out there. Tons of books, man. There's never been this many books. Used to be half shady. You'd be like, is my book going to pay me? I don't know, man. Uh, Now it's just like everyone's giving you promo codes. They're trying to get you to sign up. Celebrities are getting involved. It's an oversaturated market, in my opinion. But if you're looking for advice, if you're looking to get into it, there's just so many tools and avenues that quite literally just didn't exist 10 years ago, right? Five years ago, even. So, uh, yeah, upwards and onwards, things are going well. And the, the one thing I'm needing to end off my summer is just a killer PRP. I'm telling you this, not the card. This is a fucking bad card. But it's coming. It is coming. So hopefully we're going to get back to better days. And in the meantime, let's score some props. Let's score some totals. Let's enjoy the fights of Saturday afternoon.
0: Did I have said it any better than my guy Cody over there? I don't think so. Uh, appreciate everybody checking out the show. Again, hit that like and subscribe on the way out. Drop a comment as well on the back end. We'll be back next Thursday uh, to prop you guys up once again. And it's a pay-per-view card. We got Hamza Tsumayev going up against Nate Diaz. Very much looking forward to that. Hopefully, we can produce some winners on that card as well. All right, Cody. Appreciate you joining as always. Appreciate everybody checking out the show. We'll see you next week. Peace bonjour what do they say au revoir au revoir au revoir <laughs> <laughs>